Everybody, welcome back to The Lost. This is your host, The Razor's Edge, being joined as always by Shadaloo. And you ripped that straight out of Cyborg's intro. Did I'm I, proud of you. Keep did I up. really? Yes. Joined as always. <laughs> Who says as always? Well, you know what? He has a point when he... I mean, it, it works. It's, I didn't do it on purpose, but it's effective. I was just going to lead into a who uses as always, but jack offs joke, which I've just made. So <laughs> there we go. I've done well, my piece. Yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. I didn't do that at the beginning and then like break off into laughter or start like coughing or and just have a brain fart or a freeze, just s- stroke out like as he's wont to do. Yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, something just goes. But um, but not me. I'm on top of my game. <laughs> I mean, if it was me, I would just like seek it into a pterodactyl screech or something i say segue because whenever i say segue i think of that fucking device for extremely lazy people for which the creator of wound up dying in a segue related accident which i still find funny to this i love day. i love how if you take the handles off a segue you have a quote-unquote hoverboard which doesn't <laughs> fucking hover <laughs> it has wheels pretty much oh i hate that they call it that anyway uh, today's episode is being recorded shortly after April Fool's Day, so uh, the two of us thought it would be interesting to do an episode about uh, the pranks and the false rumors uh, that run rampant throughout the history of the Mortal Kombat franchise. The bullshit. The nitty-gritty. <laughs> the uh, secrets that are not actually secrets. The yes. lies. The mm. scandal. The slander and the libel. Well, there's there's well, the the bullshit, and then there's the deliberate bullshit. <laughs> yeah, and there's been quite a lot of deliberate bullshit here. We're not talking about stuff like the red, quote unquote Red Robin secret character that was in a magazine once, or Green Sonia being an early version of Jade, or all those fucking whacked out, cracked out rumors you find in magazines. No, we're talking about the stuff that. Sort of dates back to MK2, I guess, is the first time we were talking about this before. Well, Probably. I mean, there is there is some stuff in MK1. I mean, obviously, there's Ermac, which was not a deliberate prank. People yeah, just, just misunderstood kind of a, what the word in the code meant. And a legend was born. Uh, but, I mean, the first, the first one, I would say, is one that wasn't actually done by Midway or Neither Realm themselves. It was done by a game magazine... For an April Fool's joke, because there's sort of a history with, uh, I believe it was EGM doing... The the first prank was, in Street Fighter 2, there's a mistranslated line where Ryu says, you must defeat Sheng Long to stand mm-hmm. a chance. He was supposed to say the Shoryuken, but people thought Sheng Long was like a guy, like that was Ryu's master's name. So EGM doctored up some photos of this guy Sheng Long and made up like a fake code of how how to fight him. And people believed it. And then they did the same for Mortal Kombat, where they came up with this African-American looking kickboxer guy named Nimbus Terrafo. And I really like the idea of the character of Nimbus. I've always been kind of a fan of that guy. Uh, He's sort of like, what if Art Lean looked like he could actually fight? (laughs) I fear that, I think that one way or another, they've tried to actually kind of capitalize on the idea of uh, the black kickboxer rumor time and again along those lines. Like, 
Uh, Darius's Kung Fu outfit, which I know is also from one of the guys from Enter the Dragon, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, his, and, his alt costume looked like Jim Kelly from Enter, Enter there was, the Dragon. There was that. I think that, I think that maybe Kai was an attempt to get in on that, Maybe. Possibly. Um, I think, like, Jax's uh, original costume in MK2 was gonna be a yeah. yellow gi, so they were sort of thinking that way for him. Man, I forget about that thing. I forget about that thing. I can't <laughs> I forget about that thing. The thing was glorious. I still want to see that, like, brought to life in a game. <laughs> I don't know why, but I do. What is it with, like, uh, black guys in the color yellow? It's a nice contrast. It, I don't know. I, it seems to be a running theme. But I digress. Uh, so there are several deliberately misleading things Ed left in Mortal Kombat 2. Some of them visible on the screen. Some of them only found if you go worming in the code for another word like ermac. <laughs> mm-hmm, by which we mean Kano transformations. Mm, yes, yes. There was a statistic in the game designed specifically to make you think Shang Tsung could morph into Kano in MK2. He couldn't, but it was there. Not at all. <laughs> it's, uh... It led to a couple of variations along the uh, along that line that he could turn into Kano and like morph like anyone else. That since people found a Kintaro fatality, they're like, oh, maybe the Kano transformation is just a thing returns into Kano rips your heart out. And I'm sure that like thousands of people across uh, arcade just did the old Kano fatality to give it a shot back down forward and low punch. And of course, nothing ever worked because it was all a lie. Yeah, and uh, of course, there are, um, when Smoke and Jade would sort of pop up at the beginning of a fight randomly to tease you how to find and unlock them, they drop these little hints, and Reptile used to do it too in MK1, and um, several of the hints in MK2 are deliberate references to characters who do not exist. I think one of them, like, Smoke actually says, Ermac who? And there's another where uh, Jade says... Uh, Hornbuckle Who, and that gave rise to the idea that the guy in the background of the pit fighting Blaze was named Hornbuckle. In reality, it was a reference to a developer named Leanne Hornbuckle. I think that might have been in the SNES, or one of the home versions only, I'm not sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this has led to a fine tradition of a palette swap green Liu Kang being named Hornbuckle, who we now sort of know as one of Onaga's priests in the background. Yeah. And so the campaign by three people across America, America to have an Onaga priest named Hornbuckle continues to this very day. <laughs> well, it's interesting because uh, when they put out the, the, the pit stage again for um, Mortal Kombat X, Blaze is now suddenly fighting Rain. <laughs> <laughs> They're just, 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 just let it go, guys. Just, just, just forget it. No <laughs> green pants to Liu Kang for you. I think we can do a little bit better than that, honestly. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing like a, like a priest of Onaga decked out in green would make would kind of make sense. Just yeah. you know, well, the, it's not going to be named Hornbuckle or anything. Yeah, I, I don't mind if they change his name because I mean, it, it used to be that Blaze was called Torch, and then when they actually put him in the game, they called him Blaze because Marvel has the rights to the name Torch. So, I I used to actually think that once Blaze was revealed in MKDM, I was like, Blaze is a stupid name. It's a horrible name. Why couldn't they name Torch? Because I've been using the name Torch for like years and years by that point. But looking back over it, Blaze probably was a better fit. Mm. There was also, um, you brought this up. There was a line on the screen when you defeated Shao Kahn at the end of the game. Yeah. 
there was some little red text, that, and it would vary uh, between, like, I think, I think it was random. I don't, I don't think it depended on the character, but there, there was a little red text at the very bottom of the screen once you beat Shao Kahn. And th- there were a few variations, but one of them that I remember specifically is, is it said animality with a question mark. So either they were acknowledging the fact that, pro- that maybe after MK1 came out, people started talking about all kinds of alities and all this and this and that. There was one that said babality and another that said friendship. So they were referencing stuff that people people were finding in the game, and they knew with a bit of clever foresight on their part that once people found these friendships and babalities, they'd start hunting for animalities which were not actually there. Mm. So a reference to possible fan rumor and a little bit of bullshit on their end. Well done. Yeah, yeah, and um, actually that reminds me that when when they uh, made Shaolin Monks, which is based on MK2. Uh, every time you died and got a game over, there'd be a big message on the screen, and they were all mm-hmm. kinds of random shit, uh, references to characters like Striker, not, you know, not being in the game, but it's like, have you found them yet? <laughs> Some of them would just be completely made up, like, developers' names would be in there, sort of a reference to the Hornbuckle thing. Yep, yep. Uh, MK3, for its part, I think that'd have been their, I think that that might have been their finest hour for hoaxes. Because they put a lot of effort into making motherfuckers believe that rain was an actual thing. Yeah. So much effort. That, that was the, just the biggest, bold-facedest lie. As we remember, rain could be seen beating the crap out of Shao Kahn, or sometimes just falling back downwards, depending on what, like, depending on how often you've been watching the attract mode. There was that, and there was a combat code message, which of course said rain can be found in the graveyard. All of this was lies. <laughs> lies. It's people were pretty quick to point out the fact that Rain's name on his life bar was kind of a hit because it was yeah yeah it was slapped uh, on there in like improper font. It wasn't right. It was not the the best Photoshop work I've ever seen. But uh, I like I like the Rain can be found in the graveyard part because not only is he impossible to unlock, he doesn't exist in the game. He has nothing to do with the graveyard. It's not even raining in the graveyard. So like. There's clouds in the distance. If there had been a weather effect on that stage, it would actually be kind of funny. But the fact that it's not is funny, too. (laughs) At least to me. Sure, basses. A a slight little bit of a slate of hand was also the fact that you could see Noob, Cybot, and Smoke fighting in the subway in this self-same attract mode. And to the best of my knowledge, that wasn't even possible. Uh, I don't believe so. I mean, you, you could in Ultimate play as human smoke yeah but and there's no way to play as noob cybot and i don't think well i think that you can like you can fight the guy but yeah I there is a combat code to fight as noob you can have that fight but i believe that noob is like locked to the noob's orphan stage still in umk3 yeah i don't i don't think they used to have um scenes sometimes in the attract modes where you'd see shao khan fighting on a stage that wasn't his yeah. actual stage too I don't know if they meant to mislead us with that, but there's you know, definitely some trickery going on there. Yeah. Although, um, I, on the topic of Noob being uh, running around in UMK3, I was hearing recently that they were not too far from maybe kind of reverse engineering the possibility of making WaveNet UMK3 playable on emulators. Huh. So far, it's not been possible. And it's been long rumored or confirmed by maybe the four living people who have played that game and lived to tell the tale that you could select Noob in that game, in WaveNet. Apparently he had absolutely no special moves apart from a teleport, but I'm, I'm, keeping, a, I'm keeping an ear open for this, because I really want to give that a shot. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, allegedly, allegedly, 
the code is similar to the human smoke code, except that you pick Kano and it's like down, low punch, low kick, block, and run. <laughs> this is like decades old information here, but that's what I remember for the best of it. Yeah. So, uh, was there anything in MK4? Yeah. I mean, MK4 is kind of. It's a game that is, or at least very much feels unfinished, so I don't know if they got around to sneaking anything in there that you can't do, or that, a, like, a character being hinted at, but they're not actually in the game. I don't think they ever completed the game to the satisfaction of to actually start trolling people with that game. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think I think the version of secrets and hints that they went for in MK4 is those sound bites we like to make fun of, where sometimes yeah. it'll go, all right. Or <laughs> Jarek's humming. Yeah, because well, uh, they just see. randomly sneak it at the end of other endings, or like yeah. in the middle of the credits. <laughs> and there was, um, I mean, there was uh, a character who a magazine revealed was going to be in, but was cut, and that Belloc. was uh, Belloc, a big red demon, and um, he wasn't in the game because the guys who wanted to put him in were the people distributing the home versions, Eurocom, and not Midway themselves. And Midway didn't want the character, I guess. So, I always thought that was a shame, because for a game about, like, the ruler of hell invading and leading armies of demons, there aren't actually any demons in MK4, right? We didn't, uh, we, we, we really didn't get any kind of actual demonic presence, you could say, unless you're not, unless you're already counting Scorpion, until the Oni came along. And yeah. even then, there's nothing... Honestly, I'd say that, like, maybe Corrupted Shinnok is the closest traditional demon that we've actually gotten in an MK game. Yeah. And, I mean, you could probably attribute part of that to the fact that um, Tobias's idea of hell was mm. that Shinnok had transformed it to look more like Earth because he was so jealous and wanted Earth so bad. And that's why you've got characters like Quan Chi and Serena who technically are demons, but they've been transformed to look humanoid. Alright, so, I mean, the next big thing that uh, I think everybody remembers in terms of fake characters or pranks or that is when Ed Boon posted the picture, the artwork of Zebron, and said, uh, hey, this this zebra walking on his hind legs <laughs> in a top hat and coat like a magician is going to be a character in Mortal Kombat 5. <laughs> and to the great disappointment of many, this was sadly never proven to be a thing that they were even thinking of doing, really. <laughs> I think they might have actually. I think did one of the pedestrians in a uh, Deception or Armageddon or what? No, not Armageddon, but like, I seem to remember a second reference to Zebron in a game somewhere. Huh? I don't know. Maybe it's like a, like a background call out. One of those backwards talking guys in Conquest mode. Who knows? Yeah, possibly. I can't remember specifically. I remember that um, there's there's a a thing in Deception that a lot of people thought was a was some kind of hint a uh, character or something. Ah, uh, yes. Kochal. Yeah, Kochal, which is short for coin challenge. And the uh, the idea of Kochal that's actually in the game is when you're in playing Conquest mode and you're down in the Nether Realm, there's uh, this area where it's like three uh, pillars with skulls on them. And if you go over to that area, you can fight like the members of the Black Dragon Gang for, um you know, coins. It's, it's a bonus mission thing. But um, the demons running around in the Nether Realm refer to Kochal as a three-headed god that, uh, if they if you pay tribute to it, can open a portal to send you somewhere. And everybody thought, or a lot of people on the forums and stuff thought this meant Kochal was an actual person or something. 
they didn't get that the demons were worshipping the pillars, and it's not really a god, it's just fucking pillars. <laughs> I think that the phrasing had a bit to do with that. If not for the whole three-headed god bit, I, I maybe a few people less would have fallen for that, but yeah. I was left wondering that myself at the time. Yeah. There, were, there was also a lot of buzz about the possibility of unlocking Liu Kang's ghost form as a costume for him. Yeah, she yeah. They, well, out. that's because his ghost form is in the game. You can mm-hmm. fight it and everything. It's just... And it has, yeah. like, a, a redesigned costume that he doesn't wear in either of his zombie Liu Kang attires. Maybe they were planning on making him a separate character, but uh, I, don't, I see no reason why otherwise he wouldn't have been selectable as, as, as just a separate costume. Yeah, so damn shame. Yeah, just I mean, just it sort of bothered me because why'd you redesign his costume if we can't use it? <laughs> and there were and there were one or two uh, deadly alliance characters in there too that you could just fight who had no moves. Yeah, yeah. There was a bit um... of a combo about how to unlock them, and that was also not even a thing that was even possible. Yeah, well, pretty much everybody in Deadly Alliance is somewhere in Deception Conquest, um, and you can fight them. But yeah, they didn't have their moves or nothing. Well, they had their fighting styles, they couldn't do their specials. The um, the other thing about Deception, I mean, Deception had a lot of little secrets and teases that went nowhere at all. Like, if you just stared at the, uh, the opening menu screen, there's, like, <laughs> behind the options, there's, like, a thunderstorm going on and words and things will flash, like, character names and places. Fujin. Sometimes it'll say Fujin or Striker, yeah. <laughs> Pricks, 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 pricks. The first of a long <laughs> series of Fujin disappointments. This is strike one. Yeah. So moving on, I don't think that uh, I don't think that Armageddon actually had anything like that in there. No. Well, I mean, they threw everything they had in Armageddon. Every character in the kitchen sinks, so there wasn't anything left to tease. <laughs> there was just so much going on there that it couldn't even be. Well, they didn't even have time or. The ability, even, to craft storylines for everyone, sadly. Although you can piece most of it together. But moving on. So Shaolin Monks was uh, around that time, which you've already covered. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess this leads us to MKDC. And again, I don't remember much of anything happening here. Yeah, um, well, there was talk about, obviously, DLC that never happened. I mean, they had a, they had a picture of Quan Chi... And they said we were going to do him and we were going to do Harley Quinn, but we didn't do any DLC for the game because Midway went out of business. There were a lot of, like, rumors that certain characters were maybe going to be in, but just didn't make it. Like, if you you got the little comic that came with the collector's edition of the game, uh, it showed um, Robin, Johnny Cage, Goro, and Aquaman basically being erased from the universe by Darkcon as an explanation for why they're not around. When you think about it, Johnny misses out on a lot of shit, doesn't he? Yeah, it's uh, it's ironic because the um the whole uh advertising like tagline for who was going to be in the game was these are the most iconic characters from the two universes, and apparently they consider Kano and Baraka more iconic than Johnny. You know, Kano I can understand at a glance, but Baraka, uh, yeah, recognize, rec- highly recognizable and iconic aren't the same thing. Yeah. I mean, you'd think you'd think they just go with movie characters, because I mean that's why Katana gets to be in more stuff than Melina does, or at least used to. Now they're pretty well even, and I think Melina's considered more popular. Oh, far and away, I'd say. I mean, she posed for Playboy. <laughs> that's uh, that's some exposure right there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, do we? I don't think that. No, 
I don't believe that either mythologies or special forces had much of anything along the ways of deception. Well, special forces has its own whole thing because it was supposed to be a different game than what we got. It was released unfinished with a lot of stuff cut. Uh, you know, originally Sonya was supposed to be playable. Uh, instead of just Jax, it was supposed to be either of them. Uh, Cabal was supposed to be in there. I think his model is still in the game, but he's never, like, pointed out by name. I've got to look that up. I've never yeah. like I've ever seen that. That's really pretty much it. I mean, you can you can look up all kinds of, like, there are, there are cutscenes of, like, Sonya or Jax spying on Kano, talking to Cabal, that, like, didn't make it in the game, like, just ended up on the cutting room floor. You can look up all that kind of stuff. And there's um there's there's similar for mythologies but a lot less because that game was pretty much finished. <laughs> it's just there were there were a couple um neither realm demons and stuff like a giant uh pit bull monster that they they had concept art for that ended up in like the strategy guide and stuff and they're like, "Well, this didn't make it into the game. We wish we could have done it." That's the case for just about every game out there. Sadly, no attempts to overtly mislead or fuck with the fan base as had been done prior. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, can you think of anything in Mortal Kombat 9 other than the game itself being sort of a fuck you to the timeline? (laughs) (laughs) Still a fine game. Let's not forget, still a very fine game. It's a great game. Wish Cybersmoke was in it. (laughs) Wish Cybersmoke wasn't a thing that existed, but anyway. Let's, uh... No, I don't remember... I don't actually remember anything at that time being specifically designed to mess with people. That's that's the theme I'm trying to keep here. Mm. I mean, there, there there was the Fujin audio sample that they found in the game. The Lord knows whether that was intended to mess with people or not. Yeah, and, no, we're still not sure if of, that was a deliberate leak or what. <laughs> if so, that was pretty damn ingenious, I'll say that much. That was really? disappointment number two that was Fujin-related. Uh, there was all those, there were the boss and sub-boss battles that never wound up getting into the game, that they just found through data mining. Yeah. Again, a great shame. But, uh, nothing really overt. Although it was around this time that they started really paying attention to people's tendencies to look up silhouettes on character select screens and try to guess who the character was, which had been a fine tradition dating back to Deception. Yeah. If not earlier. No, I think, I think Deception was the earliest part, earliest time that happened. Yeah, like I guess that, that... Freaking out over, like, the double silhouette that turned out to be noob smoke. <laughs> or if it was someone with, with, like, gigantic Dracula hair or something. No, it's, 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 it's two characters, and everyone's like, bullshit! Holy crap, it's actually true. <laughs> but, uh, I, re- I remember when MK vs. DC was first announced, a lot of people thought that was a prank. <laughs> you know, it was kind of a joke. Mortal Kombat HD. Hmm. Well, from what we've seen of it, that's uh. Well, you only need to look at the uh, the photos from the set to understand just... why that game didn't get finished and why nobody does blue screen graphics anymore. <laughs> you just need to look at smoke. That's all you need. And this gigantic bobblehead. <laughs> now that aside. Going back to the character silhouette scanning that they've been paying attention to, we know, at this point. This is when they started trying to fuck with us for MKX. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun time. (laughs) That was good. 
I'm almost disappointed it was that the, that the whole thing was shut down after like a day and a half. It did not take people long to solve that mystery. <laughs> Throwing the Lego guy in there was probably a bit too much. Well, what gave it away. the fun of it for me, though, was trying to figure out because they sort of what they said was, yes, they are pranks. These characters aren't in the game, but they're references to characters who are in the game. So it sort of became <laughs> like, well, uh, here's Rorschach. Maybe that means that. Yes. Kung Lao is in, because they both wear a hat. <laughs> and to the best of my knowledge, no one's actually come back with the completed roster, took a, taken a look at that, and compared areas on the screen, or found justification as this. I think that was all bullshit, just, yeah. to, just to keep messing with us. Yeah, I mean, who's the Lego guy supposed to be? <laughs> Let's see. Plastic. Fixed expression. Hmm. If this were an older game, I would have said Scorpion, but no, not this time. <laughs> no, it was just it, it, it was it was just bullshit. That's all it was. I like that. Um, well, some of them were pretty transparent. Like the Terminator was in there, and that's obviously Kano. Although, if you'd also said uh, Sector Cyrax, I could see you guessing that. You'd have been wrong because they didn't end up in until the LC. But so, who was Rorschach? Uh... I think he actually was Kung Lao because of the hat. <laughs> maybe maybe Aaron Black. I don't know. I just, I can't take it as anything other than absolute garbage. Because there's no one in the game who's a detective or <laughs> a vigilante like Rorschach is. Like, what? Maybe Kung Jin is a thief? I, no. No one fits that. That's a stretch. As a hat. <laughs> I'm, uh... I'm okay with saying Kung Lao because of a hat. <laughs> That's just me. I'm okay me. with saying that they were just messing with us. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little both. It's a little both. Um, MKX is kind of, I feel like, the ultimate bullshit tease. And I don't know that deliberately so. I just think putting that many NPCs in the game that we don't get to play as is a little bit mean. <laughs> It doesn't constitute anything necessarily misleading or a promise or anything. No. But it, is hard, it, it, it is hard in these days with so many characters that really should or we'd like to have them show up again. It's hard to see them sitting there and not be not having them be part of the action. Yeah. It's I still am grateful that they wound up bringing Bo Ray Joe in. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Me. Yeah, that, that is uh, a nice touch. But I, I think it's the way people react to it, like the fact that Rain and Sindel are in there with moves, but we can't play as them. I can Isn't see he... how that would some people would see that as a bit of a as a bit of a cock tease. Because <laughs> what, what I want to know is like what we think would happen if, say, for MK11, they pulled another Rain can be found in the graveyard. Would be would, would people ever just get incredibly pissed off? Because back in the day, I was like, that's kind of mean. But at the same time, it's funny. I found it funny then. Would I find it funny now? Maybe. I don't know. It depends what they do. <laughs> well, I well, mean... actually, actually, we forgot something in MK9. Oh, yeah? We forgot uh, the illustrious cyber reptile on the tower. Oh, yeah. Remember that thing? Mm. That was a little nudge-nudge, wink-wink, directed it. You know, you actually had a couple people around who wanted him so desperately to be playable. I. You know what? When MK9 was out, there were... Everybody wanted a cyber everybody. At that point, <laughs> it was just like, well, you know what? You did it to Sub Zero. Let's just get it over with. Everybody's cyborgs now. 
I think it's actually a matter of time until we have a cyborg lady. It's going to happen. I'm surprised it, there wasn't a cyborg lady in this game, honestly. Maybe but Triborg just had a really low voice, and we don't know its gender for sure. <laughs> uh, I still think of Triborg as Sector. He he talks like Sector. He has Sector's goals and motivations. Why they pretend he's got the other three he's made up of his personality in him when he clearly doesn't? I don't know. Th- this is exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be like. Dominant personality stored in the hard drive. Slave routines. Oh, Sector's alive again. This is what is going to happen. I'd be fine with it. I mean, you don't need an excuse to have Sector be alive again. Triborg stole his head in that cutscene on the internet. There you go. (laughs) Very easy to explain. Yeah. But I guess that that's it for uh, our topic of them fucking with us over the years. Yeah, I mean... I wouldn't mind seeing it done again in a clever way. If, if they were to actually freak me out into believing there was a possibility that a Chrome, yes, that thing, was in a game, and it turned out not to be true, I'd have a jolly laugh. I think I would. <laughs> well, I mean, it's... The thing is... First of all, if you look back at uh, the rain can be found in the graveyard thing, and then you notice the very... First, like, all of the home versions of Ultimate had rain in them. So, if that were done in this day and age... What was a tease would become a DLC character, and so there'd be no reason to be mad about it. I think the trick is you have to make it pretty obvious, or at least hint to the fact, like that old rain text in the light bar was, that something is very wrong here, and maybe you shouldn't be taking what you're seeing at face value. Yeah, and the thing is, um, Ed still does this stuff. Almost weekly. He just does it on Twitter now instead of coding it into the game. It's all so very transparent, though. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's, a, it's, 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 it's half-hearted hoaxes. The thing of it is, it's the boy who cried wolf. Mm-hmm. Ed has done pranks f- for so long that now nobody trusts anything he says. <laughs> we just always assume he's trolling us. <laughs> <sighs> Cheers to you, eyebrows. <laughs> Eh, he's having fun, I guess. That's that's the important thing. As long as most people do, and he still gets the bags of money flowing in daily. I'm sure yeah. he's happy. But, um, so April Fool's wasn't the only event uh, this past week or two. We also saw the release of Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. Some of you saw that release. Yes, some of us did. <laughs> so, um... I I thought, you know, The Lost has so far been a show about, you know, old, obscure trivia, hidden shit in the Mortal Kombat games, and since Neither Realm also makes uh, Justice League games, it is not out of the question that episodes of The Lost could focus on old, obscure comic book shit as well. Particularly what I'd like to eventually talk about in future episodes is some of the scripts and story ideas for movies that never got made. I mean, everybody's always heard about, uh, you know, if you've ever watched An Evening with Kevin Smith or the new uh, Life and Death of Superman Lives, I think it's called the documentary that came out recently, about the, the movie Tim Burton and Nick Cage almost made about the death and return of Superman. It's funny, that thing, because it seems to be getting more almost made every year. They they just keep finding more and more stuff from it. (laughs) Yeah. So what I'd like to do uh, with future episodes is sort of 
find and look at some of these scripts for movies that didn't get made about Superman or the Justice League. Uh, there are earlier drafts of Green Lantern that I swear didn't suck. You know, I just I think it's fascinating to to look at what could have been. Um, so we'll do that later. But what I'd like to do first is sort of talk about Batman versus Superman itself, which uh, you have not yet seen and will not see until it comes out in a format that you don't have to pay for. Precisely. Rather than embarking on a 15-minute hate fest about every single nitpick that I've heard about this movie, I'm just going to summarize points leading up to the main reason why I won't go see it. Number one is, from what I've seen of the Lex performance, I'm not going to like it. I forget the guy's name, but his Lex... Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, Eisenberg. It's been described to me as very Joker-like, extremely matic and hyperactive, and I just feel that the time for Wacky Lex is more or less far, far in the distant past with a purple suit, which he hardly ever wears these days, and that's all been modernized. I just, I don't know. It, it, it's, it, it, he just, it just seems to be that, I don't know, we're kind of maybe digging up Silver Age Lex a little bit too much here, trying to cross-reference slash Gene Hackman slash Joker... And the time for Lex to be any rem- anything remotely like that, I think it's just long gone. I think that they managed to nail Lex in a modern incarnation in the in the Justice League and Superman animated series, and that's that was the norm in the comics for a long time. Maybe it still is. I don't know. I don't I don't read DC anymore. But to be to, j- just to be brief about it, that's not the Lex that I want to see depicted anymore. That doesn't that, that doesn't scream Lex Luthor to me. Even Smallville got their Lex Luthor more or less right, from what I remember. I think Smallville, but I think as much as I didn't like Smallville, their Lex is still probably the best Lex we've had in live action to date. There you go. Um, as far as Eisenberg's performance, uh, you know, he's actually not so much reminiscent of Silver Age Lex because even that character wasn't like this ever. Um, Hackman had, you know, kind of, even when he was doing something silly, he still had kind of, you know, he had a deep voice and he had some seriousness and gravitas to him. Eisenberg is basically playing a different character entirely, and that character seems to be Jim Carrey's version of the Riddler. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's it's not great. Um, I don't know why they went this way. All I know is, according to Zack Snyder, Eisenberg was supposed to be playing uh, Jimmy Olsen, but uh, Jimmy Olsen's part is very small, and spoilers, he dies. Oh, good lord. So, uh, Snyder decided that he didn't want to give Eisenberg such a small role. He wanted to give him something with more substance, so he gave him Lex. And before that, he had been looking at maybe Brian Cranston to play Lex. So, yeah, we could have had, you know, the guy from Breaking Bad as Lex. We already know he looks good with his head shaved. A missed opportunity, if ever I heard one. Yeah. Do I even want to know why the fuck Jimmy Olsen dies? Because that's news to me. Well, um, I can explain it. What I thought I'd do is sort of go through the movie, quick summaries of, like, the important scenes... Because I'd, I'd sort of be curious to hear someone who hasn't seen the movie's uh, reaction to just, like, a flat description of events. 
All right. Prepare for a gratuitous amount of low, small, oh my gods. <laughs> to well, be uh... imagined with the visual imagery of a, of a slow, sad facepalm. <laughs> just, just saying. I'll, I'll try to be fair, but judging from all the shit I've heard, oh boy. Well, before we get into it, I just want to say my... I mean, my review of the movie, if I'm just giving, like, a number or whatever, is a flat 5 out of 10. Like, I don't hate it, but it's also, like, not good enough to love. It's The thing of it is, it's such a mixed bag between these two radical points of, wow, that's straight out of the comics, and wow, that's the complete opposite of what's in the comics. (laughs) Oh, boy. And so, like, I didn't, you know... It's a lot more interesting to talk about a movie that you're conflicted on than one that, like, if I went to see the new Fantastic Four, which I knew was going to be shit, had absolutely nothing worth talking about it because it was shit from beginning to end. (laughs) Just low-grade schlock. Um, But this, I mean, there's some meat on the bone, conversation-wise. So, uh, we're going to jump right in then. So, spoiler warning, obviously. Uh, if you've listened this far and you don't want to, you somehow haven't seen Batman vs Superman yet and don't want to know what happens, I would turn back now. <laughs> it's not an impossibility after that first week drop. Yeah, no, the uh, stop seeing this thing. the The rumor is it is that it's going to have a really hard time um, reaching. I I guess the number they need is somewhere around eight hundred million to break even on the budget. <laughs> Oh boy. I think they're at uh 650 million right now. But yeah, it's it's dropped sharply. So we'll see how that goes. Um So yeah, let's get to it. By all means. So, I should be picturing you doing this with puppets by the way. <laughs> all right. So the first scene in the movie is um shots of the the Wayne's funeral intercut with Bruce's parents getting shot outside the theater. Just in case you didn't know that Batman's parents are dead. <laughs> Wait, hang on a second. I'm, 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 I'm sitting here. I'm stirring tea like a proper gentleman. <laughs> Boop, out pops the monocle from my head and goes the spoon right into my cup. You, you <laughs> jest. The Waynes died in a Batman movie? No. I know, right? <laughs> Who saw that coming? So, um... Well, this one... So this one's interesting, because, first of all, uh, Bruce's dad is played by the guy who played the comedian in Watchmen. Um, he was the, the Winchester's dad on uh, Supernatural. His name is escaping me at the moment. Do not watch that show. Cannot stand that show. Do <laughs> I, I kind of like it. It's It's cheesy, but... What is his name? Well, anyway, the the reason I bring him up is because he has a mustache, which is one of those examples of, hey, that guy looks like he does in the comics. Okay, cool. Because, you know, most depictions of Thomas Wayne are, for some reason, clean-shaven. That always bothered me. Yeah. So it's good to know that they got that right for once. That's cool. Yeah. Um, But uh, on the other hand... So, when the mugger comes up to them, and this is all, like, mostly silent, it's like a montage sort of thing, playing over this, like, sad music. Uh, like, the guy, the guy walks up to him, pulls a gun, 
And Thomas's immediate reaction is to go to punch him. <laughs> hmm. So he take you know he's about to take a swing and that gets him shot. And then the mugger goes for um for Martha, and Zack Snyder does this weird thing where he has the mugger's gun get caught on Martha's pearls, just so he can have the pearls breaking and the gun going off on frame at the same time. Because I guess this is his artsy idea of, like, shoving all the iconic shots from the Wayne's parents' death in as quickly as possible. Specifically the Miller version. Yeah. But, um, not the first time this has sort of happened. 89 had, uh... As I remember, yeah, as I recall in 89, after Jack pulls the gun, uh, Thomas does grapple with him a little bit. Hmm. Very unsuccessfully, as we all know. And, yeah, the, this is after, uh, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's Bob, yeah. Bob reaches for the pearls and there's grappling with Bob, and then Jack just shoots them both, Martha, after she screams. But uh, first time I've heard of Thomas taking a full-on crack at the dude. Yeah, I, I think... Well, there... I, I'm sure I've seen animated versions where he, like, moved to defend himself. But I know at least one of those was, like, a dream sequence where Bruce was imagining what if he started punching him and didn't get shot. <laughs> there have been a few of those. Yeah. yeah. Animated series had one. But anyway, so... Thomas and Martha get shot, and we hear... The only thing Thomas says, his dying words, is just to whisper his wife's name, Martha. Which I'm not necessarily complaining about yet, because it's sort of a, a forced uh, plot point uh, later in the movie that Batman and Superman's moms just happen to have the same first name. Is this why they stopped fighting? I've heard that this is why they stopped fighting. Yeah, yeah. So we'll get to that, but... Oh, what what sort of struck me about it is, like, you look back at the Nolan version, and Thomas's last words are, don't be afraid, Bruce, which is touching, you know? There's, um, I just find it odd that in this version, dude gets shot, and his first thought isn't his kid who's still alive, it's his wife who's also dead. Is he looking at her as, as he says this? Yeah, yeah, like, he's looking at over at her as the life fades from him, and he just croaks out her name. Huh. Odd. But anyway, so like I said, the the actual death scene is intercut with the funeral. And during the funeral, Kid Bruce loses his shit and runs off into the woods aside Wayne Manor. And he falls into a hole in the ground and lands in the bat cave. And sees the bats and they all fly at him, you know, sort of like in, in Batman Begins. Except also, also Batman Forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, except in this version, the bats start to uh, swarm around him. Like no, they're not actually like landing on and scratching him or anything like that. They sort of don't touch him. They just form like a tornado of bats. And then, because he's in a tornado of bats, he starts to float upward. This is a hallucinatory sequence, yes? Yes, yes. It takes, like, a full minute and a half before the narration comes in to tell you Bruce is having a bad dream. So, right. you're watching this happen, and you're just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> well, a bad dream, I'll give it. That's not the first time. At least it's not an actual play-by-play -play of the whole events. I'm okay with this. 
It's, it was just a little jarring because it took him so long, and then Affleck's voice comes in and he says, In the dream, the bats lift me up out of the hole into the light. But it was just a pretty lie and this and that. And then and then the screen goes to black and there's a subtitle on it that says, 18 months ago, the world meets the Superman. And it's the end of Man of Steel with Metropolis being fucking wrecked by that gravity machine. And we see Bruce uh, come into Metropolis on a helicopter and get into, like, an SUV and drive into the city because he's trying to get to... Uh, one of his buildings that's in downtown, like Wayne Financial, I think the sign said. And he's, like, trying to call the guy who works in the building, like, the the boss. I forget his name. He's basically an NPC. <laughs> I like that I use the term NPC for movie characters, but there you go. <laughs> that term, as we go on years, is starting to be applied more and more to people of little consequence. It's kind of sad and funny at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. He's... And- I know a few NPCs at my workplace. <laughs> it's doubly fitting because we're in the games business. Yeah. So, so Bruce is driving into town, and uh, you know, Superman and Zod are wrecking buildings, and that guy can't get out. You know, the the guy who works for Bruce, and Bruce like watches. You know, Zod and Superman are actually fighting inside the Wayne building. Like, you know, the scene where they're wrestling in an office, and they use yeah. heat vision to just cut through all the walls and shit. Apparently that was Wayne's building. Okay. And so that building wreck gets wrecked, and that guy dies, and Bruce is screaming no, and then uh, there's a giant cloud of dust, because, you know, buildings are getting wrecked. It's all very 9-11, and everybody's running away from the dust, and Bruce is the one guy heroically running in towards it. And um, so first he, he finds a guy out on the street, who works for him, like, right outside his building, was escaping, and a, uh, like, a steel beam fell on him and crushed his legs. So Bruce, uh, lifts the beam and gets some people to help him move the guy, and that guy's legs are fucked. And, um, then he, he saves a child from some rubble falling on her, and he's like, we're gonna find your mom, where's your mom? And she points up at the wreckage of the building, obviously the mom is dead. Mm. And so this all just sets up, you know... You know, Bruce looks up in the sky, and the next thing he sees is Superman tackling Zod through a building. As, um, like, they're coming down back out of orbit from that part where they wrecked that satellite up in space. Alright. And, and then it cuts to the present. And, and so this sets up that Bruce has a very legitimate reason to be mad at Superman, right? Like, he feels the way the audience feels. Now, yeah. <laughs> I was uh, going into opinions of this movie. I was hearing a lot of that. That Batman is very much on the audience's side, whereas so far, so far as a lot of people were very pissed off with how much collateral damage Superman seemingly did not give a shit about causing. Yeah. So that appeals to me. Yeah. If, See, if, if, you're, if, if you're gonna have them fight, this is a good way to start it off. Yes. The thing is, that scene is all you need to set up Batman's motivation. And yet they keep throwing more shit in there that actually makes it worse as the movie goes on. Like, if, <sighs> they, just, if they just took the ideological argument of Batman thinks Superman is over the line as a vigilante, that makes sense. 
But Batman and Superman's behavior throughout the rest of the movie makes them both giant hypocrites, and the fight at the end is super forced. And I'll get into that. Super forced. <laughs> okay, so so we cut to the See, present, and I'm trying to be optimistic here. <laughs> I'm actually I'm, I'm liking most of what you've told me so far. Yeah. So. Yes, see, the first, like, half of the movie is actually really good, and especially Affleck as Batman, like, Affleck does a really good job acting as Bruce. Like, you know, Michael Keaton was a really good Batman, and he captured that quiet and tortured side of Bruce, but he could never pretend to be a playboy well. Like, in the beginning of 89, he's throwing a party, and he's, like, aloof and hiding from the guests of his own party, and you can tell that guy's a weirdo. <laughs> To be fair, that's probably Tim Burton saying, I don't know how to make someone actually funny over the top and very, very relatable. Everyone yeah, yeah. see, Bert, Burton likes to make movies about, like, gothy weirdos. That's what he does. So his Bruce Wayne is a gothy weirdo. He's the kind of reclusive millionaire who, if someone was looking for Batman, he's kind of obvious. <laughs> for what it's worth, I think that under a different director, Keaton could have pulled it off really easily, seeing yeah. all the things he's done. But yeah, gothy weirdos. Yeah, yeah. So there, so there's, uh, that's that was sort of Keaton's problem as Batman, and uh, um, Kilmer and Clooney, or Kilmer and Clooney. Nobody's gonna call them the best. You know, I actually, for for a long while there, I considered Kilmer's Bruce Wayne the better one out of all that all we'd seen. This was until Bale came along. Yeah, yeah. See, Bale. Bale obviously blew them out of the water, but he has his own problems, like going too far with the growly voice. Bale was a bad Batman, but the, the, that I've seen, he's still the best Bruce Wayne. Yeah. He's that lovable, silly, affluent jackass. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love Bale's Wayne like no tomorrow. Mm. If you that's, combine Bale's Wayne with Keaton's Batman, that'd be the best for me. That's basically the performance Affleck gives, is what I'm trying to say. Like, he has those quiet... Those quiet moments where he's brooding in front of the bat computer, and then he also has the moments where he's kind of a drunk jerk at a party. Oh. He really nails it. All right, liking what I'm hearing so far. Yeah. So, so anyway, the next scene is in the Middle East, and we're seeing, you know, Lois is uh, doing some reporting on, like, I guess she's she's interviewing the leader of a terrorist cell or something. Or no, I think it was Africa. But anyway, she has a photographer with her, and his name is not said out loud because apparently it was a cut scene, but in the credits, he's Jimmy Olsen. So Lois and Jimmy are taken to interview with this guy, and this guy has some uh, American mercenaries working for him. And one of them inspects Jimmy's camera, like, busts it open and finds a CIA tracker. And so they shoot Jimmy dead. <laughs> and, um... Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. Yep. Is dead. Yeah. Okay. Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen is dead without ever having met Superman. <laughs> so anyway, Holy, I take a sip from the tea. As soon as the as soon as the terrorists start taking Lois hostage, they hear sonic booms and they realize Superman's coming. So the terrorist leader like takes um, Lois down into some bunker or like inside a building, and then the mercenaries start turning on and shooting their own and drive away on motorcycles. You're like, what's that about? But after they're gone, Superman arrives. He just crashes in through the roof of this building, and the guy has Lois at gunpoint. He's, like, threatening to shoot her, and Superman just sort of calmly stares at him, and he, he watches, like, Lois relaxes her grip and gives him a nod, 
and he fucking Raiden tackles this guy through three walls. That guy is fucking dead. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, he couldn't have heat-visioned the gun or something that Superman would normally do. <laughs> I, need I mean, there's there's a later scene in the movie where Superman says he didn't kill anybody in the desert. But I don't believe it. That guy is fucking dead. There, that is not survivable. <laughs> All right. At least they're taking the bullshit route of claiming he never killed anyone. At least yeah, they're, they're trying to say it out loud. They're trying. But, well, that's, they that's could the try hard. So... So anyway, the, the point of this scene is that it becomes an international incident because Superman went over to a foreign country and got involved in their shit. And now, like, I don't know, that that militia leader was like the only thing stopping these rebels from attacking another town or something like that. And it sort of broke out into a war. And so the Senate blames Superman for intervening to save Lois. And they think Superman killed all those guys. Because those guys were shot, and Superman uses a gun all the time, right? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, you know, one of my least favorite cinematic devices is plot-necessitated stupidity. Yeah. Things that are easily explainable that are just completely overlooked for the sake of moving the plot along. I need reasons for things. I need, I need proper assumptions. Why would anyone in their right mind think that Superman could use a gun? Okay. Yeah, nobody nobody seems oh, yeah. to have told the leader of the Senate committee that those guys were killed by gun, by fucking bullet wounds. So so the news is going on about that, and this, this Senate committee leader wants Superman to come in and explain himself. There's a scene where he, like, walks into this apartment that he shares with Lois, and he's got, like, roses, and he's going to make dinner for her, and she's taking a bubble bath. And she's all just like... Telling him, like, because you saved me, the you know, this now there's this trouble and they all think you're responsible. And he's all like, I don't care. Let them think what they want. And they start, like, making out in the bathtub. <laughs> and uh, mm. so I will I will say um, this is the first, uh, at least implied, actual. On, no, I guess it's not the first on screen sex scene between Lois and Clark. They did it in Superman, too, which is why they were able to have a baby in returns. I'm sure that Lois and Clark, the new Adventures of Superman, had a couple of sex scenes. The point is... By, by the end. My, the point I'm trying to make is the Zack Snyder Superman, the guy who can't fly without taking off like a rocket, the guy who wrecks buildings with a touch, can have sex without breaking a woman. Well, that's been a kind... I'm not gonna... I'll be fair. That's not so much a Zack Snyder Superman film. That's just kind of a Superman film in general. I will, I will grant other versions of Superman can have sex with Lois... But other versions of Superman have also the ability to not turn it up to 11 every time they use their powers. <laughs> I'm willing to grant that, it, that no matter what the continuity, he's learned some measure of physical restraint that lets him perform the most basic of activities. I guess. Sex isn't all that tough. I just, it seems like a contradiction coming from the guy who insists on every act Superman does having some sort of realistic damage associated with it. So anyway... We see um, Bruce Wayne is tracking this uh, Russian gangster. He's basically the KG Beast from the comics, but they only use like his real name. They never call him KG Beast. You're shitting me. They yeah. you, they brought KG Beast into a film. Yeah, I mean he's so, just like Mecha Blade hand and everything. No, he doesn't have the costume. Then how is he recognizable as KG Beast? Well, he's not. It's just, if you know that guy's real name in the comics, you'll know this is that guy. 
Okay, so what you so what you're telling me then is that they pulled a Victor Zaz. Basically. Uh, well, no, even Zaz had scars. Zaz had a knife. <laughs> oh, fuck. But, I hate when they do this. Um, I, I, I just, I, I, I just do. On, on, on a similar note to that, uh, Mercy Graves is in this movie, but she's an Asian secretary who has no lines. Okay. So that there's that. Um, at least the guy who played Jimmy Olsen kind of looked like Jimmy Olsen. At least Batroc the Leaper fucking jumped around. Like, he, was, he wasn't, like, a, a freckly ginger kid. He was just kind of a, a regular white dude with reddish-brownish hair. But he could pass for a Jimmy, so... <laughs> I have to say KG Beast. I know KG Beast is a stupid name. I laugh at KG Beast's name all the time. Just put him in the fucking outfit. <laughs> oh, Christ. So anyway, uh, Bruce, Bruce is tracking this guy because he's... I guess off-screen before the movie started, began an investigation on something called the, uh, oh, what was it? The White Portuguese? Something like that? And he thinks this is, like, a, a mobster or something? So Bruce goes to a, um, like, an underground fight club, and he, you know, places bets, because KG Beast is there also placing bets. Question. And <laughs> Did the KG Beast have a, have a, have a psychic of, of, of any kind? Uh, was he working solo? He, well, he's sort of in charge of uh, a bunch of dudes. No like particular second in command? Yeah, because he, if there was a second in command, that could be the NKV demon. <laughs> I, I don't believe so. They di he didn't have any identifiable uh, second in command. He just had a bunch of mooks. Uh, one day the NKV demon's time will come. One day. <laughs> <laughs> you had to bring KG Beast into this conversation. <laughs> Not be able to focus on anything else. Yeah, that's pretty right. silly. Um, Let's move it along. So, so, Bruce goes to this underground fight club without, like, he doesn't do a Matches Malone disguise or anything. It's just, hey, here's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Matches Malone is, I'm waiting for the day when I see that in film, because it's going to be great. Someone's going to do it. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> but, so, while, while Bruce is at this fight club, he, uh, he manages to copy all of KGB's cell phone data so that he can continue his investigation into whatever the white Portuguese is. And... What he finds out is that the White Portuguese is actually a uh, a ship owned by Lex Luthor because Lex is uh, smuggling in kryptonite, which was found at the site of you remember there were two of those gravity machines in Man of Steel. One of them was way out in the Indian Ocean. Mm -hmm. Well, at the at the wreckage of that world engine, they had found that some of some of the terraformed Earth had transformed into kryptonite, right. and so. So there's there are these scenes where Lex is trying to get uh, the senators in that committee. He's trying to get them to give him permission to have the kryptonite shipped in to uh, examine it as a possible weapon to use against Superman. And yes, do. and that that lady senator who's in all the trailers and stuff, she blocks his request because as much as she doesn't trust Superman, she also thinks Lex just wants to assassinate him. She's not wrong, but okay. Yeah. She she gets it. She's onto him. And, you know, Lex is giving these speeches, and it's like, the first couple Lex scenes in the movie, he's actually kind of talking like a Lex Luthor character. Like, he's going on about how you can't trust aliens, and that it, it would be good to have some kind of deterrent. And it's like, you don't need to use a silver bullet, but it's nice to have. Alright, I can buy that. And, um, there's actually, they also introduce sort of an interesting thing, which I think is them sort of backpedaling on the Eisenberg depiction, and like, giving themselves an out if he didn't work. Uh, the first time you meet Lex, he explains that LexCorp is named after his father, and he's Lex Luthor Jr. 
Oh boy. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the idea well, is is Lex Senior is. I'd like to see where, like, where you're going with this. The, the, yeah. This seems like it could be entertaining. Yeah, the idea is that Lex Senior is dead, and Junior has inherited the company and has been in charge for a while. But in a sequel, they could easily find a way to bring Lex Senior back and just say, I wasn't dead, or my kid stole my company from me, and I'm here to reclaim it, something like that. See, are you familiar with are you familiar with I'm, Lex Junior in the comics? I am familiar with Lex Junior. I remember him from uh, the original Crisis. He's the son of Earth Three Lex, who was a good guy. And then in Infinite Crisis, he comes back. Lex Junior has gone mad from spending a very long time in a pocket dimension watching the DC universe. There is that, but I more f- I refer more to the Lex Junior that was around at the time of the death of Superman. Oh yeah, the the Lex where he he made a clone body for himself because he got cre- cancer from kryptonite. Uh huh. He pretended to be an Australian man with a neck beard and long red hair. <laughs> yes. So maybe that's their out if this Lex doesn't work out. Eh, possibly. I mean, there are ways to go with it. I'm just saying we might. So... It's not hopeless if you actually like Lex Luthor. They might find a way to have the real one in a movie someday. <laughs> Without rebooting this entirely. This closer to an Australian redheaded neckbeard, more so than Gene Hackman. Well, uh, Eisenberg is playing it with long red hair. <laughs> well, okay then. I think, I think I'd like to believe that that's where they're going with this. In which case, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Hmm. I'll be generous here. So... So as Lex is uh, meeting with the senator and asking for the kryptonite, and she says no, uh, she gives this sort of speech where she's like, you know, don't piss in a bottle, call it Granny's Peach Tea and try to sell it to me. I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> and that, that'll that come back later in a, an amusing way. The phrase, piss in a bottle and call it Granny's Peach Tea, will come back later. Yes, I'm afraid it will. <laughs> You're... You're not joking here. No, I'm serious. It'll it'll make sense in a moment. So why didn't I? So Lex uh, goes behind her back to have the kryptonite smuggled in, and Batman goes to the boat, the White Portuguese, to intercept this shipment. And before he goes out, he's like, Alfred is asking him, "You you want to destroy the kryptonite, right?" And Batman's all like, "No, I want to use it." And they so they have their big ideological speech about how Superman is dangerous, and Alfred is like, if you start a war with this guy, you're going to die. I understand that Jeremy Irons is something of a highlight of this film. Which yeah, yeah, Jeremy Irons actually, plays, plays a perfect Alfred, really. I mean, I'm he's a, got that, a, that, that British sarcasm, just the guy who's been, who's been around for so long helping Batman, and he's just kind of tired of it. See, Jeremy Irons is actually one of my very favorite actors. I loved him ever since Scar and the Lion King. Uh, Jesus, and the, <laughs> for some reason, like, my second favorite performance by the guy is in that 2000-ish remake of The Time Machine, version of The Time Machine, where he was playing the Morlock King. <laughs> I freaking loved him in that! Yeah, the he's British, in a lot of good stuff. He's uh... The snide British haughty atmosphere just went hand-in-hand hand with Morlock King so well, I don't know what it was. But he, He's also the bad and, guy in Dungeons & Dragons, the movie. <laughs> I paid money for that, and every day I try to forget that I paid money for that. Stop bringing that up. I swear, that, like, in, in, the, in the what, two years we've been doing this podcast, you keep bringing that movie up, and I think you're the only guy that does it. Why do you do it? <laughs> because 
Wade, you have to acknowledge repeatedly that that movie's a thing that happened. <laughs> no one wants to remember this. No you know one. what? You know what? It left a mark on me, and I must share my pain. <laughs> I'm sorry, but... Uh, 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 I wanted to leave, but they wouldn't let me. I wanted to leave, but they wouldn't let me. Uh, so anyway... So Batman... He's watching these guys move this shipment into, like, a van so they can drive off. And he, like, shoots a tracer onto the van. And then he gets in the Batmobile, and there's a big car chase. Because when you put a tracer on something, you then want to immediately attack. (laughs) The interesting thing about this car chase is that Batman literally murders every fucking car. Like, so so there's a point where he, um causes a car to flip over onto, like, a trailer, and then he attaches a grapple to this car and keeps on driving, dragging it behind him. And then he makes a sharp turn so that the car he has grappled flies through the air and lands on top of another car full of guys with guns. And the rest of the cars, he pretty much just guns down with a machine gun on the front of the Batmobile and then crashes through the wreckage just to make sure they're dead. And I want to point out at this point, there's been no reference uh, in this movie. There's no point where Alfred, like, says... You need to stop killing people? But there is a part earlier in the movie where they talk about how Bruce has been branding uh, criminals who are child molesters or sex traffickers so that when they get to prison, the other prisoners will know that guy's a child molester and kill him. So Alfred gives him a talking to about uh, arranging it so other people kill bad guys, but he never seems to mind that Batman is directly killing bad guys. (laughs) And here we come to the main reason, one of them, actually, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that I won't see this movie. Batman, would Batman brand someone? I knew he was branding people, I'd heard that. Yeah. But you're telling me now that he's branding people to get them killed. Yes. Specifically. He he specifically brands, there's only two people, according to the movie, that he brands. One of them was a child molester, and the other one was a white slaver. It's all sex trafficking. All right. It's the kind of people who die when prisoners find out they're that in prison. So he's leaving the brand specifically to mark these people as child molesters. Would Batman pummel such a person to within an inch of their life and leave them for the cops to save? Yes, he probably would. Would he directly take any action which would enable someone to kill that other person? He would absolutely not. And if you're going to reference a comic where he does this, then that comic is written like shit. For anyone listening. Yeah. Canonically, Batman Batman does not kill. The sole exception to this that I'm aware of is the Dark Side God Bullet. Actually, actually no. Because what happened in that story is, first of all, Dark Side is already dead. He and Orion, before the story starts, kill each other in a fight. Darkseid's ghost possesses Dan Turpin, the Metropolis cop, and right. so in Final Crisis, Batman is come up against uh, Turpin-possessed Darkseid, and he picks up a gun and does shoot a gun, which is out of character for Batman. The bullet is made of a material that's poisonous to new gods, uh, and what I don't know, I don't know that they say it on panel or if I read this in an interview, but the idea was Bruce shot him in the shoulder to make Darkseid stop possessing Turpin. I don't think that we ever saw Turpin after that. I'm pretty sure Turpin died. No, he may he may have died from the wound. I The thing is, 
nobody uses Turpin anymore anyway, so maybe that's why we didn't see him again. I liked Turpin. I thought it was a shitty way for him to go out. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't really compete with the way Dan Turpin dies in Superman the Animated Series. That's kind of the iconic moment. And I think the reason that uh, writers in comics don't use Turpin much is because they act like that episode is canon. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. Putting that aside, I mean, I'm even prepared to say, okay, Batman will kill a god if he has to kill a god. I can deal with that. Batman taking lives, either, like, casually, flippantly, or in this case, directly making this possible. No. This is a 30-year-old fucking mistake. If you want to count, like, the whole punching someone who was... Ugh, Christ. The Adam West movie. People talk about the fact that he punched a guy who then was promptly... What's the word for it? Demolecularized... Uh. You disintegrated you know, or vaporized disintegrated, something. Yeah, but that was an accident. Yeah. The point is, this whole Batman killing people shit stick. It started with Batman '89, pretty much, as far as I'm aware in film. And I'm not blind to the fact that that's wrong, even though '89 is my favorite movie. In Returns, he's slapping bombs to people and kicking them down sewers like that clown. Bombed an entire factory in '89. Theoretically, shooting people with guns on the front of the Batmobile in '89. Although I like to squint my eyes and say rubber bullets, honest, rubber bullets, honest, <laughs> rubber bullets, honest. If, if if they would just have him say that, I'd be okay. It takes so little effort to do this. Yeah. And this is, you know, this has got to stop. This well, is just not fucking right. And I, the thing I, is... I, I, I can't. It was acceptable when they did it in the 80s movies because... That's the thing. We've, that, had, we've had nearly 30 years since then. And we've had Batman the Animated Series... Or the Batman is yeah, it's, multiple you, shining examples on screen as to what conduct Batman operates under. You know, and yet because it makes for dramatis like dramatics, he still acts in people on cinema. This is not my Batman. It's just it's just weird because the eighties Batman had the excuse of, you know, back then people were not expecting a lot of uh, fidelity to the source material. So getting anything close at all was a celebration, and it's like, okay, well, he also kills, that's fine, this guy doesn't know Batman, he's just making a movie. But then the Nolan movies at least had him talk about having a one, one rule. So now it's out there, the public knows Batman doesn't kill people. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, what, what really bothers me about it in this movie is the contradiction of... You have a Batman who kills people, but you have Alfred yelling at him for letting other people kill people, rather than for killing people himself. And why Why would you brand them and not kill them yourself if you want them dead and you're okay with killing people in the Batmobile? Why didn't he kill the child molesters if he's a guy who kills? You have no idea how much this bothers And And why, if he's a guy who kills everybody he comes across... What leg does he have to stand on when he's complaining about how Superman does business? And, this is... and, when, and when Clark complains about Batman, what leg does he have to stand on? They're both fucking hypocrites. You tell me things that maybe kind of want to go check this movie out on Cheapy Night, then you tell me shit like this, and I feel just... <laughs> so damn angry right now, just thinking about this. So, anyway, the, the Batmobile, the car chase scene, ends with... You know, the van is taken off, and the Batmobile rounds a corner, and all of a sudden Superman is standing there on the street, and the Batmobile hits it and skids away to a stop. And then Superman rips the hood off, and he tells Batman to quit being Batman. 
And that's where you oh, get the Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> that's where you get that scene that we all we've all seen in the trailers and stuff where Batman stands up and he's like, "Do you bleed? You will." <laughs> <laughs> that is a very Batman line. It's yeah. a it's it's a little edgy for my taste, I think. It feels a little bit like uh like the comeback a kid in high school would make. <laughs> well, does it really have anything against over I am the knight? No, I am darkness? No, I mean Batman is an edgy guy. This is yes. true. <laughs> I'll give him Do You Bleed. Do you bleed's a nice line. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot, uh before this scene, there was a scene where so uh Lex was holding some kind of um, charity event for the library or something like that, and he invited Bruce to it, and Clark was there to interview people, and that's that's where Bruce and Clark meet for the same time. You saw most of that scene in the trailer, because it, it was our first big indication that Eisenberg was not right for Lex. Mm-hmm. You know, where he's doing that high-pitched, I just love bringing people together. <sighs> Then, did he know, at any point steal 40 cakes from the event? <laughs> he did not steal 40 cakes. Not even a little piece of cake? Mm-hmm. Nothing, no cakes mm-hmm. stolen? No. But there is um there is a moment in that scene where, like, Lex gets up to the microphone to give a speech. And you see another, like, facet of what Eisenberg is going for in his portrayal, where Lex is sort of... He starts, like, stumbling on his words, and, like, like he has really bad social anxiety, and he sucks at giving speeches... Which raises the question, how long has this guy been a CEO? How many speeches has he given? Does this happen every time? Why do people let him make speeches? <laughs> Lex Luthor, socially anxious. Yeah. We're talking about the guy who's cool as a cucumber and, like, walks through board meetings dominating. Well, I can't tell if it's, like, that he starts stumbling because he's such an awkward guy, or it's also a little bit because his speech sort of becomes about why he hates Superman, because, like in a thinly veiled way, because he's talking about why he cares about, like, the library and stuff, and he's, like, talking about how, you know, power without knowledge is corrupt, and knowledge without power is a contradiction, and he starts, like, just getting pissed off, because he's thinking about Superman and all the power he has. <laughs> jealous. Jealous. Furiously pumping cock. And, jealous. And then he realizes everybody's staring at him, so he just cuts his speech so- short and says, uh, thanks for coming, everybody. <laughs> I can't believe I live in a world where I consider Kevin Spacey to be the best Lex Luthor. Yeah, right? <laughs> Honestly, I'd, I'd take the guy from Lois and Clark at this point. I forgot about that guy. He, he, he at good. least, I mean, unlike unlike all the other movie Lexes other than this one, he owned a LexCorp. <laughs> Alright, so moving along. Yeah, so, so while Bruce is at this party, um, he sneaks down into um, some server room to steal intel from uh, from Lex. That's how he finds out about the kryptonite shipment and all that stuff. And um, Clark overhears him talking to Alfred on an ear mic, and they never say it out loud, but this is the point where uh, Clark figures out Bruce is Batman. All right, that's fair. And, um, and Wonder Woman's at the party, too. And she, uh, when Bruce isn't looking, she steals the hacking device for some reason. And so now Bruce is trying to figure out who Wonder Woman is. Uh, she's, at this point in the movie, she's just like, she's apparently some antiques dealer, you know, she's Diana Prince. Uh, 
Um, you find out more about her as the movie goes on. I was actually under the impression, hearing about all this, that one of the things is that we never have a reason as to why she's around in the movie. It's it's a bad reason, but it's kind of there is one. Okay. <laughs> so um, so so after uh, Batman and Superman meet and he crashes the Batmobile, um, Bruce drives back to the cave and immediately starts working on his anti-Superman plans because he's so pissed off. And, um, so, we get a scene where Superman finally decides to, well, what happens first is that guy who got his legs crushed at the beginning of the movie, Mm -hmm. we see him again, his legs have been amputated, and he's in a wheelchair, and he's at this, so there's, there's a memorial in the center of the park with, I guess, the names on stones of everybody who died in the Metropolis fight, and... In the middle of this memorial is a giant statue of Superman. Because that's who you build statues to, the guy who wrecked the city. <laughs> I, okay. you know, I mean, I can kind of get it. Like, there is an argument to be made that Zod wrecked the city and Superman saved everybody, except for the ones who died. <laughs> but this movie, like, the public is so mixed on him... You never really buy the side of the public that does like him, that would have a statue. Because Uh. it's just so, like, all they show are the people complaining, and then here's a statue. So it's like, you're supposed to get that the public percept that his, uh, you know, he's like a 50-50 split on how people feel about him, but they only show one half of it. Which makes the little glimpses of the other half not make sense. So anyway, uh, this this guy with the amputated legs, he uh, he defaces the statue. He he spray paints the words "false god" on the chest. And as the cops are taking him away, he's screaming, "I work for Bruce Wayne! I work for Bruce Wayne!" For some reason, and Bruce sees that on the news, and. Well, maybe he's screaming, I work for Bruce Wayne, so people know that he was in that horrible accident, and... I guess. Well, the the thing you learn is that Bruce was supposed... Like, he, he had this guy set up so that checks would come to his house every month. Like, he'd still get a paycheck, even though he couldn't work anymore, because Bruce is a nice guy like that. Yes, good on them for remembering. And, um... But this guy looks like a homeless person, like he hasn't been getting the checks. And so... So the guy goes to jail, and Luthor bails him out and cleans him up, and gives him a fancy new wheelchair, because he wants the guy to come to the Senate and testify against Superman, as like a character witness about how bad and dangerous this alien is. So Superman actually shows up to the Senate meeting to, you know, defend himself, and the wheelchair guy is there, and Bruce is watching it on the news, and one of his assistants comes in, and he's got uh, all of the, the checks that were supposed to go to wheelchair guy came back, like, he, he sent them back, he refused to cash them, and he was writing, like, messages on them, like, crazy terrorist screeds about how... They were, like, anti-Bruce Wayne, which doesn't make sense because the guy hates Superman. <laughs> okay? But, um, so as Bruce is starting to get the impression that this guy's lost his mind, and the senator starts speaking, she's giving her, her opening speech, and she notices that sitting next to her chair is a jar of piss labeled Granny's Peach Tea. I swear to God, that's the truth. 
and she looks over and sees that Lex's seat at the hearing is empty. And she has this, like, quiet oh shit moment where she's not talking, and everyone's just looking around like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, wheelchair guy explodes. Like, the, the Senate is bombed. And there's Superman just standing in the middle of a burning Senate building, just looking sad like, oh, damn it. <laughs> a wheelchair bomb. Yes. And a bottle of piss. Yeah. And uh, I will point out also... 40 uh, cakes? Mercy was in there, so she's dead. Okay. <laughs> sure, I, I just... 40 cakes, anyone? Hmm. I could go that for 40 cakes legs. right about now. So here's the funny thing, right? So you hear that, you're gonna think, oh, they're gonna think Superman blew up the Senate, right? That's what you'd think if Superman came to the Senate and all of a sudden exploded. You'd think is Lex is framing the... Superman for bombing the Senate. Is this the direction that they go in? No. The news immediately says they they somehow figured out it was a wheelchair bomb. <laughs> Okay. I mean, there's there's that a scene a little really... bit later at the Daily Planet where Perry is telling a reporter to write something about if Superman didn't stop the bomb, did he know about it? And if so, was he complicit in it? So, like, they're teasing the, the idea of Superman's involvement in the bombing. But nope. <laughs> now, it's I just think kind I actually of lip service. don't mind this angle. Because I feel that having Superman randomly bomb a Senate would start us on that path of willful stupidity in order to in order to move a movie along why would he do this thing at the same time it's like well first of all how does the news know it was a bomb and not superman this is still a problem yes and secondly superman's reaction to the bombing is not to immediately like help out and look for survivors or anything he goes into hiding like he flies back to lois and mopes about how he couldn't stop it, or... Yeah, about how, like, he he's just given this speech about how, like, I, I wasn't even looking. So, like, I missed it because I didn't expect that anyone would do that kind of thing. And he's, like, talking about, basically, I don't know, losing faith in humanity, or how maybe there shouldn't be a Superman because he's doing more harm to the world than good. Eh, Superman does get kind of angsty from time to time. I'm not like this. this. Like, it's... The whole movie is just that. There's not really any lightheartedness to Superman at all in this. There's no point where it seems like he's enjoying being Superman or that he's doing it by choice. He clearly feels burdened by it. Unfortunate. And... And there's a point where he says... Where he sort of says that being Superman was like his dad's dream for him... But if you remember the first movie, that's a load of bullshit. <laughs> Paul Kent was a crazy guy. Yeah. He told him to let people die. I remember Kevin Costner specifically telling him maybe he shouldn't help people. Maybe he should stay in hiding. <laughs> I think they really uh, got Paul Kent right in this first No, movie. and that's, like, he goes to Ma and to get her opinion on his mopey situation. And she says... Help them or don't. You know, do what you want to do. You don't owe them anything. <laughs> Which, again, is the exact opposite of what a Kent should say. Also, I mean, the, no, Kents, the it, Kents aren't exactly like Aunt May here or Uncle Ben with the great no, power yeah, this, great responsibility. It's the exact they opposite. Raised their boy, they raised their boy right. Yeah, it's In this movie, what she says, you don't owe them anything is the exact opposite of with great power comes great responsibility. 
Jesus Christ. And and all I can figure is Zack Snyder must be some kind of, you know, Ayn Rand Kool-Aid drinking objectivist fuck if he believes this selfishness is good parenting advice. And why a guy like that would be put in charge of making superhero movies, which are about selfless altruism, I, I don't get it. <laughs> Do we see Lex leafing through a copy of Atlas Shrugged at any point in this film? Uh, I wish we did. Like, from Lex, that would be in character. <sighs> <sighs> this is making you sad talking about it, as it's making me hearing about it. I can tell. Mm -hmm. It's in your voice. Well, but, um, I'm, I'm so feeling more and we'll more resolute in my decision by the moment. We'll get back to some of the, the good parts. Um, well, first of all, I can't remember if it was before that scene or after we saw... Uh, there was a scene where Bruce is, you know, trying to tack, track down Diana to get his hacking thing back. To get the intel on Lex. Um, he goes to some museum where she's, uh, like, looking at ancient Greek artifacts. And there's, like, a... It's supposed to be the sword Alexander the Great cut the Gordian knot with. And they both know it's a fake. And so they have some, like, flirty... It's almost like a... One of those scenes where James Bond is at a party talking to the movie's femme fatale. It's very, like, sexy, and they have a lot of charisma and, like, chemistry together. And that's, uh, that's the other thing I like the most about this movie, besides Affleck as Batman, is uh, Gal Gadot's performance as Wonder Woman. She actually, she's not in it much, but she does a really good job when she is on the screen. That is a very, that, that is a very great relief to hear. Yeah, so... If nothing I'm, else, I mean, I like these guys as their roles, Lex aside. Yeah. From what I'm hearing. Like, Cavill, Cavill has... If you've seen Man from Uncle, you know Henry Cavill can be, like, a very charismatic actor. He's got a lot of personality. He's fun to watch. So he could be a great Superman if they just give him less mopey material. Well, Gadot was one of the things that worried me the most, but it's a good thing to hear that she's on the ball in this, because a lot's writing on her film. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually, like, the, the thing I came out of this movie thinking was, I don't want to see Justice League now. Because it's Zack Snyder, but I really, really am looking forward to that solo Batman and solo Wonder, solo Wonder Woman. Well, Affleck does come back for it. Yeah, I guess. Well, Affleck is supposed to be like writing and directing the Batman movie too, well, and good. he's a really good director. So Argo was great. Yeah. So anyway, um, well, Wonder Woman gave Bruce the hacking thing back. Like she said, I didn't steal it; I just borrowed it. And she explains that she was looking into Lex too, because uh, he stole a photograph she wants or something like it's just something that means uh that's important to her from the past and so so bruce goes back to the cave and he's looking at what's on the drive and what he finds is uh files oh, These, i've heard of this yeah i've heard this bit he he finds that <laughs> on lex's computer are these um labeled folders and the labels are the superheroes logos yes so lex luthor I mean, was, what's in these folders is, like, surveillance footage and stuff of, like, there's one, like, he clicks on the Flash, or, um, later in the movie, Wonder Woman watches the Flash one, and she clicks on it, and it's, like, surveillance footage from a convenience store robbery, and you see Ezra Miller as Barry Allen, who looks nothing the fuck like Barry Allen. He's, like, buying milk, and he sees that some guy's robbing the dude at the register, and, you know, you see him, like, whoosh at super speed. He's holding a jug of milk. And then he's gone, and the jug is floating there, and then he comes right back and grabs the milk jug without it falling down. And the guy who was at the con the register is just knocked over, and there's, like, lightning, and la lights are popping, because I guess that's what his what the Speed Force does in the movie versions. You can't, you can't run at super speed without breaking fucking anything electric. <laughs> sure, why not? Okay. Because it's Zack Snyder. Stuff has to explode when you use your powers. But the point is, Barry's 
apparently not the Flash yet. Like, he got his powers and he's using them to help people, but he's not out in costume. So Lex designed the logo for him. Like, Just to be clear, this Flash is different from the TV Flash. This is a different Flash. It is, it is not Grant Gustin, the guy who plays Flash on TV. All right. It is a separate continuity. You know, they talk about wanting to amalgamate their brand and... Well, they also talk a lot about the multiverse. <laughs> yeah, that's always a thing. Sure, why not? I guess... I mean, I don't I don't care that they didn't use TV Flash. It would have been nice if they had, but... The only thing about it that bothers me is that Ezra Miller doesn't look like a guy who should be playing Barry. Like, I like it when they cast people who look like the guy does in the source material. Barry isn't like a... Well, so do I, but... He doesn't have, like, me, long hair. <laughs> to me, performance is what matters the most. If I can I believe guess. that this person conveys the essence of the character, then I'm okay. I mean, up until Daredevil, you know, one of the things that people freaked out about back in the day for the old Ben Affleck Daredevil was the fact that Kingpin was a black guy. And I didn't care. I no, I don't mind Kingpin as a black guy. A, like, he looked like was, the uh, Kingpin, though, other than the color of his skin. Like, if... Like, it wasn't just look. I mean, he had... He definitely had the aura of a Kingpin character. Yeah, Maybe he had, it wasn't the traditional Wilson Fisk, but was he He had the size Kingpin? and the presence. Oh, yes, he was. He was great, that guy. His name I'm now forgetting. Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Thank you. But yeah, like, he he still, even though he was a black guy, looked like the Kingpin. Like, he was a really huge dude with a shaved head. They conveyed the essence of the character, and that's what matters Like, the there's, um, John Reese davies played the Kingpin in a TV movie once, and he obviously was a bad Kingpin because he doesn't look like the Kingpin. Even though he's a big white dude... I'm gonna Google he, this right now. He didn't, he, like, he didn't shave his head or nothing. <laughs> And I love I love John Reese Davies as an actor. Like he's single handedly the reason that Sliders was one of my favorite shows as a kid growing up. But he's not the kingpin, you know. <laughs> Jesus Christ! What were they thinking? Anyway. But yeah. So so anyway, we find out from Bruce looking at the the superhero footage these these deliberate teasers for future movies these trailers stuck in the middle of the film. <laughs> Bruce finds out that Diana is Wonder Woman because the photo she was looking for is actually a photo of herself in costume during World War One. Like, it's an old sepia tone photo with a bunch of soldiers. All right. And so he emails her and he's like, who the hell are you? What is this all about? And he sends her the rest of the data. Like, the reason she gave the drive back to him was because she couldn't crack the encryption. So he's he's being nice and sharing and giving the data to her. But, so that's, I guess, her motivation for being in the movie was she didn't want Lex to find out she's Wonder Woman, but she's already too late. All right, sure, why not? Yeah, it works. I mean, it's a little, you have to do some thinking to figure that out, but it's fine. God forbid a movie makes one think. So anyway, after the Senate bombing, Batman gets really mad at Superman for some reason, not at the wheelchair guy, and he immediately... Is he jumping on the stupid train of, I think Superman did this, or is it even made clear, or what? Well, it it doesn't make sense. Like, he doesn't say anything. It's like he figure. It's like he blames Superman for wheelchair guy going nuts. And here we come to another reason why I don't want to pay money to see this movie. Because I've heard the editing is such a botched, messy job. Yeah. Apparently there's going to be, like, a three-hour director's cut. And apparently that cut is going to be R-rated, which just makes you wonder, what the fuck kind of violence could you have in a Superman movie that needs an R-rating? I want you to practice dropping the soap. 
Unless practice dropper the soap. Unless it's gonna be a flashback to Jason Todd's death just to explain why Batman's so bitter in his old age. Cause there is a shot of the the Robin costume. Okay. Like he's he's in the Batcave and he's walking by it as he's about to go out and he like stops to stare at it for a moment and it's you know you've seen it in the trailer it has the jokes on you ha 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 painted on it like obviously the Joker killed a Robin. You know I would be surprised if it don't, if it wound up turning out to be Dick Grayson, just so they wouldn't have to use the like Dick as a name in a, in a movie. I don't know. I I hope it's Jason, because I had hopes that there was a rumor that the Affleck Batman solo movie would uh, adapt under the Red Hood. I don't know that you can do that story with a Batman who kills, though. <laughs> it kind of defeats the purpose. That it does. Before it's over, Which, by the way, if, Robin, if Batman is willing to kill, why is the Joker still alive in Suicide Squad? <laughs> Joke's on you, the viewer. <sighs> All right, so I know I keep saying the phrase after the Senate hearing because I can't quite remember the order of a lot of scenes. I do remember immediately after the uh, the bombing because he thinks that Superman is the reason wheelchair guy went crazy, and that makes him more mad at Superman. Like, that's that steals his resolve to immediately go break into LexCorp and steal the kryptonite. Rather than perhaps putting two and two together and maybe going after the guy that engineered the wheelchair bomb in the first place or looking into the wheelchair bomb like a proper detective would do. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because, like, Lex arrives at, at LexCorp at night and there's, you know, police everywhere because there's been a break-in. And he finds all kinds of, like, bullet shells and casings on the ground and, you know, shit is, shit is wrecked, you know, stuff's busted. And he walks into his lab and the box the kryptonite was in is ripped open and there's a batarang just sticking out of it. Like, it sort of raises the question to mind, first of all, did Batman kill the security guards? Where are they? <laughs> or did he just knock them out and they're off screen? Either way is fine. I mean, the the gun, the bullets could have been from them shooting at him. But why did he leave his calling card so Lex knew, I'm the guy who stole your kryptonite? <laughs> Like, Batman hasn't really had a whole lot of interaction, or any interaction, really, with Lex at this point in the movie. Like, the only wrongdoing he's been onto on Lex's side is employing KG Beast to acquire the kryptonite in the first place. Which, which I guess is smuggling, but it's not like a Batman-level crime, usually. <laughs> Especially if you, if you don't care about the guy that kryptonite hurts... And you want to hurt him yourself? Jeez, this sounds like the worst editing shit show ever. Yeah, it's it's a little it's a little messy. Uh, Putting it mildly, this sounds terrible. So then we get there's a training montage where we see Bruce working out and also carving the kryptonite into a spear head. <laughs> I'm serious. Maybe, we, maybe it's just because you said the word montage. I know. I it conjures but up like you expect like, some some 80s music to play while he's working out. It's it's it's, it's dramatic music, but he's still doing he's doing like CrossFit in the Batcave, like he's he's banging on a tire with a hammer and dragging it around with a chain and like doing pull ups with weight strapped to himself. And... Oh my god, I can't believe I'm hearing this. <laughs> he's just, he's prepping for the big fight, and we see that he's he's like uh, made some gas grenades out of the kryptonite. And he's he's carved a big chunk of the kryptonite into like the head of a spear because you know Zack Snyder loves to compare Superman to Jesus. And you can't go after Jesus without the spear of Longinus, right? <laughs> well, that's for stabbing Jesus after he dies. Well, uh, Batman's gonna do it out of order. <laughs> okay. No, no ring or anything. No, no, not a ring. ring. 
Just just the grenades and the spear. All right. So, um, but I think it's before that. There's a scene where Bruce is... Oh, yeah, it is way before that. It's when he's uh, decoding the stuff that's on uh, the hacking device from Lex. He, he falls asleep at the Bat computer... And he has another dream. And I, I've also, I've skipped uh, at least one other dream sequence in the movie. Like, they keep having these dream sequences. The first one was at the beginning with uh, the death of the Waynes. The second one was Bruce uh, visiting their grave in the Wayne family mausoleum. And he sees blood start to ooze out of Martha's grave. And the camera makes sure to zoom right in on the name Martha, because you need to know that her name is Martha for later in the movie, right? So he sees blood oozing out of it, and he starts to touch it, and then a giant bat monster busts out of the grave like a like a jump scare. And then he wakes up. Awesome. And so the third dream sequence is... You've seen in the trailer, probably, where he's like... He's in this, like, post-apocalyptic version of Earth... It's all like a desert yeah, wasteland, like, and there's... And then Superman comes in, and he takes his his, uh, his mask off and looks at Yeah, him. yeah, there's there's a big Omega symbol in the ground, and there's fire pits, fire shooting out of it. What, what happened... The entire dream sequence uh, is that we see Bruce, who is wearing, like, a trench coat, scarf, and goggles over top of the bat suit. And I understand why you'd keep the bat suit on, because it is armor, but it still looks silly. <laughs> Fire pits, foreshadowing apocalypse, maybe. Yeah, yeah. This is this is definitely an Earth that has been conquered by Darkseid. Because so he goes down into the city, or like goes to some like convoy that's supposed to be carrying kryptonite, and it turns out to be a box with a green light bulb in it. And his soldiers, who were supposed to be getting the kryptonite, turn on him, and it turns into a big fight sequence. And in this dream sequence. Batman pulls out pistols and just starts gunning people down. He does a lot of shooting. Just a lot of full-on Punisher. And then he gets he gets knocked out by a parademon. Like, parademons start swarming and showing up. Really? Yeah, they look, they look straight out of the comics. They've got the green, like, the hood-like head with the goggles. Cool. That's and, something. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're accurate parademons, so that was kind of cool. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to you unless you know about Darkseid. So it's it's pretty inside for, like, a casual viewer to understand why there's suddenly these, like, mantis monsters flying in and attacking. Also begs the question as to why Bruce is dreaming about things he can't possibly have any knowledge about. Well, I'll get to that in a moment. To him. When I explain it, it's not going to make any more sense. But oh, good. there is kind of an explanation. So the parademon knocks Bruce out, and he wakes up in that bunker chained up. Superman comes down, and his soldiers kneel. And there's two other captured guys chained up next to Bruce, and Superman just cuts them in half with heat vision. And then he turns to Bruce, and he says something about, She was my world, and you took her from me. And then he basically gives Bruce the uh, Injustice Joker move. <laughs> just hand uh, through the chest. Kind of off camera. Okay. And that's when Bruce wakes up out of the dream, and as soon as he wakes up, there's, like, a lightning storm in the cave, and he sees the fucking Flash coming out of, like, a time portal, screaming at him. And the Flash is yelling stuff like, the Lois is the key, you have to save her, you were right about him, am I too early? I think I'm too early. Find us. And then, and then Bruce wakes up again, like that was a dream too. <laughs> <laughs> what? Exactly! Why did he wake up from that? How, does does the Flash suddenly have the power to visit people in their dreams? He had an Inception dream? Did the Speed Force knock him out? I don't... It was so confusing. <laughs> uh, 
and you tell me we're only about halfway through the movie? Well, here's the thing. We're halfway through the running time, but the end of the movie is all fight scenes, so it'll go mo much faster from this point. Please, God. I don't know which more of this I can take. But what I want to say about that scene is there is no point in this movie where Lois is in danger and Batman is aware of it and can save her. So, whatever the Flash came to tell him about doesn't happen in this film. So this is probably just them going, Hey guys, this is what's going to happen in the first Justice League. Yeah, it's, an, it's another sequel teaser, it's... which is... It's like... Bad screenwriting to set up a Chekhov's gun for a movie that's not even happening right now. And people wonder how they can be compared unfavorably to Marvel. Because at least when Marvel sets up their sequels, they kind of... They're a bit more subtle about it. Yeah, yeah, they the, actually the, work the, it into the plot that's happening right now. Like, Black Widow in Iron Man 2 was only there for Avengers, but at least she has a role in Iron Man 2. Like, she's doing stuff that's important to Iron Man 2. And, like, when they... The worst degree. Like, that scene where Wonder Woman is looking at the footage of... Flash, Cyborg, and Aquaman. Those are all the other the videos. I told you about the Flash one. Aquaman's is just footage of, like, some um, submersible cameras find him yes, in a, a wrecked ship. Yeah, about this. Like, he pops his head out of a hole or something and freaks out and runs away or whatever the hell well, it was. He sort of he sort of attacks one of the drone cameras because, like, he's inside uh, this shipwreck. And the first thing you see are two glowing uh, eyes, like, reflective, which I thought was a cool feature. All right. <clears throat> because, you know, he can see in the darkness of underwater. So he's got, like, his eyes are reflective like an animal. I thought that was kind of a neat touch. But he moves so slowly. So, like, he, he very, very slowly floats out of the ship, raises up his trident, and, like charges and flies through one of the drone cameras, like, fast enough to make a sonic boom in the water. Sounds neat. It it, it was neat, but his, his like, wind-up with the trident is so slow, it's like, why is Aquaman moving this slowly in water? <laughs> <laughs> and then the, uh, the cyborg footage is just his dad, who's... I thought this was a neat touch. His dad is played by the guy who played Miles Dyson in Terminator 2. Neat! Yeah, yeah. So that was cool, and it's it's just footage from his dad's lab of his dad basically making Cyborg, like we see. It's it's actually kind of disturbing, because, like, uh, Victor's body, like, the his torso and head, what remains of him after whatever accident did what it did to him, it's not li lying on a table, it's suspended on, like, a vertical surface. Hmm. And, like, you see a couple short bits of uh, lab recordings where... Um, Silas Stone, that's Victor's dad's name. Uh, Dr. Stone is, like, trying to save his son with these procedures, and he's like, nothing is working, nothing is working. And then and then there's one where he has a mother box. And it looks an awful lot like the AllSpark from the Transformers movies. Like, it's just a big cube of shifting cubes. Okay. And he doesn't say where he got it from. Like, he refers to it as, uh, like... Uh, government item, serial number, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's one of those things that was hidden with the Ark of the Covenant in that warehouse in Indiana Jones. <laughs> uh, so he just sort of pulls that out, and it floats all on its own over to Victor and turns him into a cyborg. Sure, why not? Okay. Like, he just starts growing 
robot limbs, and then uh, the doctor immediately like rushes to turn off the camera because shit is sparking and breaking and stuff. And those, so those three teasers, Wonder Woman is sitting at a computer watching them, and that is a scene in this movie. And it's that's the sort of thing, like it that doesn't have be anything showing up middle of the credits. Yeah, yeah. And the thing of it is, like, even if like okay, so. The reason DC movies apparently don't have end credit scenes is because Nolan, who's a producer on these films, believes, quote-unquote, real movies don't have scenes in the credits. Like, that's what... He, I'm not sure that's the, the exact words. I'm pretty sure he used the phrase real movies, which well, is the most pretentious fucking thing, right? Well, real vertebra... Don't protrude from the back after a real injury and don't get really snapped back into place and result in really being able to walk again. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, I mean, even even if you have some pretentious idea of what a, a film should be and that you shouldn't put scenes in the credits, still, like, make it the last scene of the movie if you're going to tease the sequel. Don't... Don't, in the middle of the film, interrupt the narrative by having a scene that doesn't affect the plot at all, where Wonder Woman watches teasers for other movies on the on the computer. In fact, this could this scene didn't need to be in the film. You could have just put those teasers on a website and made it like a... Viral? Yeah, like viral, viral videos. Viral just, just set up like a website that people can go to and see the footage for themselves. And that'll tease your Justice League movie. Don't put it in the film. Uh, this all sounds so comedically bad. But, I mean, you know, they're just trying to do whatever they can to get people excited for, oh, we're building a universe, we're finally doing what Marvel did. You can see Marvel did it way more elegantly than this. They don't really know what they're doing. But I, there are going to be tons of fans out there, and that's fine, who like that scene, because they appreciate the tease, because that's the sort of stuff that gets them hype. I prefer when a plot follows the plot and doesn't interrupt itself to advertise for the sequels. <laughs> Man. So anyway, we get Batman training and building the kryptonite spear and all this. You know, he's setting up for the big fight. And meanwhile, uh, Clark hasn't been coming into work, and... You know, Lois doesn't know where he is. He's, you know, off moping somewhere. And I, I, I will say at this point, another thing I do like about the movie, and this sort of goes back to what we were saying about Michael Clark Duncan as Kingpin versus uh, the guy who's playing Flash. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne obviously doesn't look like Perry White. He's a black guy. Perry White's white in the comics. I think Lawrence Fishburne is a great Perry White. I think he... I liked he, him very much in the first one. Yeah. he. There's a lot more of him in this one than there was in the first. You know, he's got that very gruff, almost J. Jonah Jameson-esque uh, personality. You know, he says a lot of things about how it's not the old days anymore, and he's kind of bitter about nobody reads newspapers anymore. And yeah. he's just very sort of demanding about, go out and get the story, and I don't want to hear your bullshit about what you want to write, because nobody wants to read that. But he also has, you know, these moments of, like, softness and humanity. Like, there's a part later on in the end fight where um, Lois wants to um, do something that'll help Clark, and she needs uh, to use the, the papers. They have a helicopter, and Perry's like, I can barely afford to give you a bicycle. What do you want the helicopter for? And she's just like, it's it's really important, and she's like, it's not for a story, it's personal. And he has, like, a, a human moment where he's like, go ahead and take it. So he's not he's not quite J. Jonah Jameson. He's, he's gruffer than Perry is in the comics, but he's still, I like him as Perry. 
I'm glad they didn't fuck another thing up. No, yeah, good. he's like it's it's one of those things like Alfred and uh, Affleck as Bruce. There are these shining moments where they actually do get the character right, and it's interspersed with these moments that are the exact opposite of what a character should be. Like, for example, the costumes in this movie are great. Batman especially. This is the first time in a live-action movie we've gotten the gray Batman and not, like, black armor with plates and shit or rubber. Actually, this could be rubber, but at least it looks right. And yet, this Batman, who looks like the perfect Batman, who is acting like the perfect Batman, every time he gets in a vehicle, he kills people. He kills all the people. <laughs> and it's just so contradictory and dissonant, and it's just weird. I... I also... I, I almost want this to... Like, I, I kind of want the Justice League movie to end with them deciding to change their names to Ultraman, Owlman, and Superwoman, and turn out they were the crime syndicate all along. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking owls, bro. Wouldn't mind that actually. They uh, they gave Alman a really really good outing. What's his name there? Recent uh, comic commemorator. Was it? No, well, there Snyder. was. What am I thinking? Jeff Johns? No, no, not Jeff Johns. The guy that's been writing Batman for the like, last five years. I'm thinking what the hell is. Oh name? yeah, that was that's Scott Snyder. I knew it was a Snyder. Fuck, I was thinking Zack yeah. Snyder, like Snyder yeah. something. But yeah, he, Snyder actually gave Batman, I mean Alman, a very very good deal. Yeah, I was confused by the... Well, not confused, but leery about the fact that it was his brother, his long-lost well, brother. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what they've done. That's sort of the interesting dad. thing about that story, is they sort of tease maybe he was making it up the whole time. That too. I don't know what they've done since, because I've stopped reading since. But I don't I don't think was, he's been back. I don't think they've touched on the the main Earth Owlman since that story. They've only used the, uh, the Owlman from the crime syndicate world. At any rate, I always thought that Owlman is kind of one of those many counter-opposites to Batman was one of the better ones, as opposed to, like, Wrath or Prometheus. I, I, was, like, I was like the idea of, like, Owlman running around in, like, normal continuity. So it's it's mm. cool to me that they actually want to be doing that. I like, I like, uh, I've liked every portrayal I've seen of Owlman. Like, I really, like, one of my favorite stories is uh, Justice League Earth 2 by Grant Morrison. Mm, yes. uh, I really liked Forever Evil, which was the most recent take on the Crime Syndicate. Uh, my favorite animated movie is Crisis on Two Earths, which is Justice League versus Crime Syndicate. That was a good one too. Yeah, definitely. James Woods plays Owlman in that, and he does a great job. But anyway, so yeah, there is there is kind of a funny scene where uh, Perry is looking for Clark because you know he hasn't been in the office in a while, and he's like, "Lois, where's Clark? Where does he go? Does he click his heels three times and go back to Kansas?" <laughs> But then we cut to kind of a weird scene where we see where Clark currently is. And he's uh, he's taking a walk in the Arctic. He he stops and he sees Kevin Costner. He sees Pa Kent. And uh, Pa gives him this weird, like, advice. Like, he tells a story. He's like, when I was a kid, there was a big flood at the farm. And me and my dad went out and, like, dug trenches to redirect the water and we saved the farm. And then that night we celebrated, and my mom made me pie and all this stuff. And then I found out the next morning that we had accidentally directed the water to another farm and washed away all their horses and shit, and I felt bad about it. And it's sort of like this 
really cynical, pessimistic idea that every time you help somebody, it'll have some kind of negative consequence. I I don't know what they were going. Gets Paul Kent at all. Mm. I don't know why you need that message. Why you need to be like in a Superman movie, so cynical about like the idea of heroism in the first place. Such are the dangers of the <laughs> troubling Batman as prominent character of DC times, where grim, dark movies are the trend, and you give the reins of Superman to a guy like Zack Snyder. Yeah, I don't think that anything good was ever possible to come out of this. And I and I, and I am actually one of those guys who didn't mind Man of Steel so much. I liked Man of Steel for its very good moments. I was I was pretty mixed on Man of Steel too. I I wanted to like it a lot because I've been waiting so long for a movie about like a post-crisis Superman who's not all Silver Agey. And the movie did try to be that, but also just the way what they did with the Kents and. I wasn't even one of those guys who complained about Superman snapping Zod's neck. No, I don't mind that so much. I mean, he. He kills a Zod in the comics. Yeah, this is he's a thing actually... that has happened, and it, and it builds his character. He goes into exile for the whole thing, just leaves Earth, tries to figure out whether or not he's still worthy of being that character. Yeah, I mean, and I was the... I was really hoping that coming out of that experience, we'd be seeing something like that happening with him. Yeah, in the comics, I... that was a really yeah. defining moment for him. Like, there there were arcs. Years and years later about him still, like, coping with the one time I killed somebody was so traumatic, and that's why I don't kill anybody now. But, I mean, when you open your movie with uh, Superman giving somebody the Raiden through three walls... uh, (laughs) I wish he had screamed gibberish. I really do. Well, you know what? They did Bane outtakes. Someone out there did, and they were great. And someone's going to do them for BVS too. Just I, I really hope so. So yeah, so throughout the movie, there's also been this really minor subplot because Lois had to have something to do. Where so she had had this journal that um caught a bullet in the Middle East scene at the beginning of the movie, and she pried the bullet out, and she's like trying to find out where the bullet came from because it's some weird experimental type of bullet. And I don't know what the hell an experimental bullet is. Like, it doesn't do anything. It just comes out of a gun. It's not like a super bullet with powers. It's not like a magnetic bullet. It's not, like, full of kryptonite or... There's not... Why? It's a bullet, but it's not quite a bullet yet. Yeah, it's, it's just a weird there. bullet. So she meets with that army general for Man of Steel a couple times, trying to figure out where the bullet came from, and they find out that it came from LexCorp. So she's basically on to Lex. At this point in the movie, her and Ma Kent get kidnapped by Lex. So okay. And meanwhile, meanwhile, over in Gotham, which by the way is viewable from Metropolis, like they share a river, like in the distance. It is like there. There's a scene on top of the LexCorp building where they're standing on like Lex's helipad, and they can see the bat signal. Well. Is it in any way remotely feasible that one could be in New York and the other in Jersey and they're just really close? Well, no, here's the thing. A lot of people say that the DC Universe uses New York. Metropolis isn't actually supposed to be in New York. It's it's comp- it's comparable to New York in terms of, like, architecture and importance and that sort of thing, but it's actually supposed to be located in Delaware, which which does share a border with Jersey. Okay, so Delaware and Jersey, then. Feasible, yes, no. But normally Gotham is like, I mean, if you look at, like, there have been maps in comics and in, um, like, a role-playing game source book of the DC America and where all the cities are located, 
Metropolis is basically in the right place in this movie, but Gotham is supposed to be on the east side of Jersey, not the west where it's next to Delaware. And Okay, so they done fucked up. Yeah, next. Bloodhaven is supposed to be between them. The odds of us actually ever seeing Bloodhaven in a movie, though. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, like, in term, like, so you can sort of picture it in your mind. There, There is a city between Metropolis and Gotham, and it's where Nightwing lives. But in this movie, they, they border each other, which raises an awful lot of questions about why Superman doesn't fight crime in Gotham <laughs> and that sort of thing. Well, to be fair, Superman's Superman. He should basically be fighting crime 24-7. Yeah. Dude's got arrested some. Yeah, but at least, like, in the comics, you can sort of justify him keeping to Metropolis because, like, that's the hometown and, you know, just... The range on his hearing can't be that fucking broken that he can hear the whole world. Well, it depends on what version of Superman we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's different in every version. I just... I just wish they'd tone him down a bit. (laughs) I mean, here, I guess... We're also talking about, if I'm not mistaken, in, the, in, in this version of things, he's been, he, he's been Batman for a little while, and Superman's yeah, yeah. a relatively new phenomenon. It, so, this I mean, is 18 months after Man of Steel. Yeah. So, But anyway... Because so, typically, Superman doesn't police Gotham specifically because this is Batman's territory. They're, they're, they're actually, if I remember right, I, I think back in the old Man of Steel series, like the, the miniseries, comic-wise I'm talking about here, mm. uh, there was a bit of a talking to that uh, that uh, Bruce gave him, you don't understand the way things work here, like, you just can't go around arresting people like that, you have to put the fear into them. So, in the comics, Superman stays out of Gotham, specifically because Batman knows how to deal with the shit there, and he lets him do that. So I can... I still I can, feel like there are so many... There are so many comics where it's like, Joker has 300 hostages... And it's like, why would Superman ignore that if it's right across the river? <laughs> this That's a thing, you know. Ongoing comic problems. I have a hard time criticizing a movie when those are things that have existed for years. But, but yeah, the point is, you can see the Bat-Signal in Metropolis. Okay. So, so Batman is setting up for the big fight with Superman. Like, he's, he's picked out the spot where he wants it to happen, and he's actually moved the Bat-Signal there to sort of attract Superman's attention, and he shut it on. And he's waiting. And so Lex has kidnapped Lois and Martha, Kent. And he's got Lois up on the roof of his building. And he's explaining why he's kidnapped. He's like, well, you, you're you on to me. You found out about the bullet. And also, I happen to have noticed that every time you're in trouble, Superman saves you. And I need to get his attention. So he pushes her off the roof. And Superman, of course, shows up to catch her. And he sets her down on the street and then flies up to Lex. And Lex gives this uh, long, crazy speech about how gods can't be human, and, like, uh, if you're all-powerful, you can't be all-good, and if you're all-good, you can't be all-powerful. And basically the reason he doesn't believe in God being good is, like, because his dad used to abuse him when he was a kid or something like that. It's it's kind of, um... It's it's a pretty shallow motivation, really, and it doesn't entirely make sense, his whole speech. But the gist of it is that... Well, we're going into it assuming that, you know, maybe he is his own father here. <laughs> we can chalk it up to being bullshit and just move along. Yeah, it could be. I mean, the, the performance Eisenberg is giving is so crazy that I don't really want to give him any benefit of the doubt. <laughs> but, so, he tells Superman, I've got your mom kidnapped, 
And he sort of, there's this creepy business where he's like, the the mother of a demon is a witch, right? And he's got, like, these uh, Polaroids of Martha tied and gagged, and, like, he's he's scrawled the word witch on her face with a marker or something just to, like, taunt him, and he's, like, throwing the Polaroids at him, like, making it rain, and Superman's, like, on his knees, like, half crying, half pissed off. And he does have one of those cool moments you see all the time in the comics where when he's really mad, his eyes glow like he's about to shoot off his heat vision. Good stuff. And Lex is all like, eh, if you kill me, you, you won't find her. Because because Superman's hearing is good enough to realize Lois was falling off a building, but not good enough to find his mom. <laughs> so Lex Lex tells him, he, 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 he holds up an egg timer, and he's like, you've got, to, you've got an hour to go fight Batman and kill him and bring me back his head because because he wants to show the public like look Superman's a murderer he killed Batman <laughs> cuz they don't already think that and also Batman is a dangerous vigilante who scares people I don't get it but whatever um and he's like if you don't bring me Batman's head back in an hour then I'll have her killed and um he also he also actually drops the revelation that first of all he knows Superman is Clark. We don't know yeah, how. I was about to ask. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. He obviously because he kidnapped Martha. Uh, he knows Batman is Bruce Wayne, and we don't know how. Okay. He says that the reason he wants him to fight Batman specifically is because he knows that Batman has been boiling with rage for two years, and that he helped encourage this ra- rage because a wheelchair guy wasn't the one who sent those checks back with the notes written on them. Lex was stealing the checks and sending them back to Bruce. Thought so. Yeah, because, I mean, he was setting the whole thing up. and Which also implies that he wanted Batman to steal his kryptonite and make weapons out of it. Which just makes me wonder, why did he look so upset then when he found out Batman had stolen his kryptonite? So we firmly established that the filming and editing process in this movie is absolute gutter trash now. Yeah. So, uh, I will, to the movie's credit, Superman, his reaction to this is, first of all, to fly back down to the street and tell Lois what's going on. And he says to Lois, I have to go to Batman and try to talk him into helping me find Martha. Like, he doesn't want to fight. So at least they got that point right. Fair. Okay. But, as he's about to fly off to to fight Batman, uh, the last thing he says to Lois is... If he won't listen, I might have to kill him. And then okay, he says, why? He says these exact words: "No one stays good in this world for long." That those are words <sighs> Superman speaks in a Superman movie. Next, right? So, Superman flies to Gotham. He lands in front of Batman, and at first he's trying to like he's saying. You need to listen to me, and Batman isn't having it. Like, he just, he activates these two, like, sonic weapons that, like, blast Superman. Like, he's standing right between them, and Clark, like, picks up a manhole cover, rips it in half, and throws it to break the two machines. And then Bruce hits another thing, and these uh, machine guns pop out of these two dumpsters. Because bullets always work on Superman. You know, you know Batman's a Maybe master planner. have been kryptonite bullets. That would make <laughs> some sense. So Superman just kills the machine guns with his heat vision. And then he he walks up to Bruce's face, and he's like, I don't have time for this, you need to listen to me. And then for some reason, Superman pushes Batman. Like, he throws the first actual attack. <laughs> We're not counting the bullets? Well, the first, I was gonna say the first punch, but a push isn't a punch. 
He makes he's the one who's the first one to make physical contact. Which doesn't make sense if he's trying to talk him down. It's like Superman got pissed off and just decided to stop being reasonable. Okay. So then he like he tackles Bruce into this building up to the roof where the um like they fly through several floors and I will point out Batman is wearing the armor from Dark Knight Returns so he can take these hits. Right. Figured. Uh, so he, he, he flies Batman through the building up to the roof and smashes him into the, the bat signal. And that's when Bruce starts using, like, first he drops a smoke bomb and disappears on Superman. And I'm thinking, Superman has x-ray vision? <laughs> Have we shown this to be the case? But, um, but no. No, he doesn't use it. Um... So Batman is able to get behind him and hit him with one of those kryptonite grenades, the the gas. And so Superman is choking a bit, and then he gets back up to keep fighting. And now he's throwing basically regular guy punches. Batman is able to block and hit him back. And so they proceed to have a big fight scene all throughout this building, smashing through floors and walls. And it's honestly one of the best parts of the movie. It's a really good fight. That's good. Snyder's good at his action sequences. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, if you're going to call your movie Batman vs. Superman, the best part better be when Batman and Superman fight each other. That's fair. <laughs> they fight their way all the way down to the bottom floor where the kryptonite spear is waiting. And Batman basically wins this fight because he's got Superman pinned with the spear at his, at his throat. And that's when Superman chokes out, you have Martha. to save Martha, you're letting him kill Martha. And okay, here we go. And Affleck just pauses and he's like looking around like what what did you say? What does that mean? What is this? And he starts here, why did you say that name? Because <laughs> he's he's having flashbacks. The movie again shows us scenes from the beginning when the Waynes got shot. Just in case you forgot, Batman's parents are dead. <laughs> it doesn't occur to Batman that other people are named Martha, but okay. Yeah, apparently not. Like he's like, Why did you say that name? What does that mean? And then Lois gets there in time to run in and yell, It's his mother's name. So <sighs> That's why they stopped fighting. And I have I have read people online rationalizing it as it's not just that their moms have the same name. It's this is the moment where Bruce realizes Superman has a mommy too, that he's a person just like him, even though he has powers. But that's not how it comes across on screen. It just comes across like, okay, now they shake hands and they're best buddies, and Batman tells him, don't worry, Martha won't die tonight. Is that line actually used? That's what he says, yes. Martha won't die tonight. Yep. Oh, sweet fucking shit biscuits. So Is this Batman... the push Chad to alcoholism evening? Because I'm already <laughs> there, buddy. <laughs> it is good that I go into the full line. This is going to happen. So Batman runs out of the building, gets in the, the plane, the Batjet, Batwing, whatever they call it, and he flies off. Uh, Alfred is like, sorry for eavesdropping, dropping Master Bruce, but uh, that tracker you put on KG Beast is still working. I will. Here's the coordinates of the warehouse where they're probably holding the lady. And so he flies that warehouse, and he busts in, and you've already seen most of this fight scene in one of the trailers. It's that, that really um, Arkham Games-esque fight that's it's actually pretty good. The only thing about it is there's a couple moments where Batman looks like he's killing a dude. Okay. Like, there's a point where a guy has a machine gun, and he grabs that guy and sort of forces that guy to spin around with the machine gun going off. And I'm not sure if, if the bullets caught anybody, because you see shots of people diving for cover and, like, dropping to the ground to not get shot. But he may have shot some people. I, I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly. 
I'd have to watch the scene again. So just how far off away are we from Lex revealing Doomsday as a secret weapon clone from Zod's corpse? Uh, we're a couple moments from that. This That happens at the end of this scene. Did we really have to go through the whole thing scene by scene? Did we really? <laughs> well... Okay, Razor Man, we're running on three hours now. Three hours. This is this 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 is unnecessary. Let's speed this. Well, you up. have to. I'm, no, I don't. I'm, 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 whatever I whatever it is, I have to. I don't. I, I just don't. Well, no. I know you. I know you feel like you don't. Cool. But you're not no. Getting the complete experience. If I leave out some of these details, because, for example, during this fight where Batman's saving Martha Kent, oh, and also during the fight with Superman, he quotes some direct lines taken straight out of Dark Knight Returns. There's a point where he's fighting Superman where he says, I bet your parents told you they were that you were special, that you were put here for a reason. My parents taught me a different lesson, dying in the gutter for no reason at all. They taught me the world only makes sense when you force it to. All right, nice touch. Which is, I actually like those lines, and they worked in the context of that scene. That was that was kind of a cool thing to do. But there's also a point where when he's saving Martha, like, he does that bit from the middle of DKR, where, you know, these guys have hostages, and they've got guns, and Batman busts through a wall to grab a guy and his gun. And the other guy's like, I'll shoot her, man, I swear I will. And he says, I believe you, and shoots the guy. Straight up shoots a guy. Well, he shoots KG Beast. KG Beast, for some reason, is holding Martha hostage with a flamethrower. <laughs> I, I guess Lex think... told him to because you're supposed to burn witches, right? And he was calling Martha a witch. Yeah, did KG Beast have a flamethrower accessory in his hand? Maybe it was a nod. He's So anyway, Batman shoots him in the flamethrower tank, which causes it to leak and explode on him. Okay. Why not? There's also a part during the fight scene where he grabs a knife off a guy who's trying to stab him and stabs that guy. And you sort of see it from the back, so it's easy to think he stabbed him right in the heart. It was probably meant to be the shoulder, but yeah. So just, you know, they're not exactly helping the whole maybe Batman kills people thing. Like, he blatantly kills people every time he's in a vehicle. Like, they're in cars and those cars explode and there's nothing left. Those guys are dead. And then during the fight scenes... It's sort of wishy-washy about whether he's killing or going for non-lethal blows. And that's just another example of why I think the way this movie treats the killing is so confusing. It's confusing why he's doing it at all. Mm. But anyway, with Martha saved, Superman flies off to confront Lex. And Lex is at the wreckage of one of the Kryptonian spaceships for Man of Steel, which I guess in 18 months Superman didn't help them clean that up or make sure that Kryptonian technology stayed out of human hands. He just left it there in the city, and the government has been studying it. And they, you know, earlier in the movie, they let Lex come into the spaceship and study it, and Lex uh, interfaced with, like, the the ship's computer and started learning things about, like, outer space and Krypton and basically the entire Kryptonian archive of knowledge. So, so when Superman goes to confront Lex, Lex is at the ship. And that's when you find out... I mean, we saw earlier Lex had Zod's body, and he told the ship to clone Zod, but he also spilled some of his own blood on Zod, and the computer's like, warning, this is, uh, you know, tampering with the genetic material is forbidden, it'll create an abomination, and he's like, do it anyway. So he made Doomsday by accident for the lulls. Pretty much. So Lex reveals Doomsday and unleashes it, and the first thing it does is take a swing at Lex, because he's the one standing closest. And obviously Superman catches this punch, because... 
for in one of the few moments in this movie where he behaves like a fucking hero, but it sort of raises the question, if Lex is afraid of dangerous, powerful aliens and wants to kill Superman, why would he create one more powerful than Superman that he can't control? Like, what is his plan for when Doomsday wins? The answer is that there is none, because it was a poorly conceived plan. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, thanks for destroying the world, Lex. You sure saved us from Superman. <laughs> but obviously, uh, Lex is full-bore ranting lunatic anyway by this point in the movie. So it doesn't really matter what his motivation is, because you can just say, well, crazy people don't have to have a motivation. <laughs> I miss logical Lex. Yeah. So this, anyway, when when um when Doomsday is first revealed, he doesn't have any bone spurs yet. He literally is the cave troll from Lord of the Rings. Oh, he actually grows them. Yes. He and Superman start fighting, and they do, they actually, at first, don't really do any damage to the city, which is nice. But then all of a sudden, Doomsday reveals that the more damage he takes, he sort of charges up with energy and releases these giant shock waves, which is... Obviously not a power he has in the comics. But the shock waves level entire city blocks. Like, this is the new equivalent of that stupid fucking world engine in the first movie. And it's just like, why did you put that in there? And the funny thing is, in this movie, because of how people reacted to Man of Steel, they start sneaking lines in where someone will say, luckily, everybody went home, it's night, that part of town doesn't have anyone in it. It's the weekend. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and the first thing that came to my mind when I started hearing about that was like, what is this, American-dubbed Dragon Ball? Yeah, it's... That's pretty shitty. All, it's a major city. There's gonna be people in those buildings anyway. You, there's no such thing as an abandoned part of town. <laughs> uh, secondly, the only reason those buildings fell down is because they gave Doomsday a power he doesn't need to have. Like... Him fighting Superman isn't what knocked those buildings down, so why is it there? But anyway, Superman actually does something smart and, like, tackles Doomsday up into the sky and they start flying into space, you know, to get him away from the city. Smart. At which point, um, we cut to, like, uh, the, the military guy from the first movie... He's on he's on a call with the president and the president wants to shoot a nuke at Superman and Doomsday because they are clear of the city. So uh, they do and they get hit by the nuke, which I thought was odd because they are a small and moving target. I'm not sure nukes work that way, (laughs) but I don't know anything about like targeting systems. Maybe that's a thing that can happen. They weren't exactly dodging. They were just flying straight up. Small guided nuclear missiles, sure, why not? I don't see why not, sure, fine. So anyway, Doomsday survives the nuke and falls back to Earth, and he lands on an abandoned island in the river between Metropolis and Gotham, because we have to keep throwing the word abandoned out there so people know. Superman, meanwhile, because he got hit by a nuke, hey, remember how in Dark Knight Returns, getting hit by a nuke turned him into a shrivel-up zombie? Mm -hmm. That is, in my opinion... Yeah, yeah, that is... In my opinion, the worst scene in Dark Knight Returns, because it doesn't make sense. Why would a nuclear bomb make Superman shrivel? I'm trying to remember. Like, I don't don't get how nukes desiccate him. Like, does it suck all the sunlight and juices out of him? I don't... It doesn't... That's... I think that that was basically it. Plus, it cut him off completely from the sun's energy. Something involving the sun's energy. That that was basically it. Well, yeah, I could... In, um... I don't know. Like I kind of I can kind of see him being weaker under like the 
the cloud of fallout if the nuke had happened on Earth. But he got hit in orbit, and as soon as the sun comes along around the bend, because he's floating out there in space, you know, it, it comes across Earth's horizon, he immediately, like, gets his, his strength back, like, he his body fills out again and he's not withered anymore, and then he flies back down to Earth to resume the fight. Which just kind of makes me wonder, what was the point of the nuke? Other than, hey, I like this scene in Dark Knight Returns, let's do it. You just answered your own question. I guess, but... I don't know, like, I guess if you wanted to set up a reason for Superman to suddenly be weaker and start losing the fight, saying the nuke took a lot out of him, is what they did when Batman beat him in Dark Knight Returns. But Superman doesn't really act weaker for the rest of the fight in this movie, so I don't know what they were going for. <laughs> Showing you a cool part from a comic. That's it. Yeah, I guess. Whatever. So meanwhile... Batman has been flying in the Batjet, taking shots at Doomsday and being completely ineffective, and the military has decided to not shoot another nuke, because obviously Doomsday survived, he's invincible, it's not gonna, there's nothing they can do. Batman in the jet, well, first of all, Doomsday, the more of these shockwaves he makes, um, and the more, like, he shrugs off, uh, like, injured parts of himself, like, he sloughs off his skin and that's when the bone st spurs start growing out of him. And he starts Ooh. looking more like Doomsday is supposed to look. Like, he never quite makes it, but at least he is a gray guy with bones coming out of him at this point. <laughs> I don't wonder why they didn't use a bit more of that in the trailers. Eh. Well, I'll help. tell you, most of the Doomsday uh, shots look really rubbery and fake, like it's video game cutscene level CGI. He's not well animated. So it just looks like shit then. Okay, yeah, the yeah. It's like, this is this was for me the worst part of the movie just because the CGI on Doomsday was so bad. I mean, other than Batman killing, this was the worst. <laughs> Alrighty. But, um, so Batman is, uh, he stupidly, uh, they write, well, it's kind of smart, and then it gets stupid. So Batman's in the jet, and he realizes the kryptonite spear can kill Doomsday because he's Kryptonian, so he needs to go back for the spear. But then Batman says the dumbest fucking thing. He says, I've got to lead him back to the city. I've got to lead him back to the spear. Instead of going to get it and coming to him. <laughs> <sighs> so... So he shoots at Doomsday to get Doomsday to chase him, and he flies over to Gotham to the docks where they were fighting. And Lois, by the way, had dumped the spear into the water to get it away. And so Lois sees the fight off in the distance, and she apparently arrives on her own of the same idea Batman just had. Without actually having been able to see Doomsday, she figures out the spear will be necessary. <laughs> that thing. So she runs to dive in the water and get the spear, and Batman and Doomsday are fighting in the docks around the building, and the rubble falls in that pool of water, and Lois is trapped. And Doomsday knocks the Batjet out of the sky, and that's where that moment where his face lights up because he's about to shoot his, apparently, heat vision that also comes out of his mouth. Like, his whole face no, is a laser cannon. Okay. <laughs> Not at all, but sure. Yeah, and... And Batman, that's the moment you see in the trailer where he goes, oh shit, because he's about to be shot. And then immediately... Where Wonder Woman comes yeah, in. Or... Wonder Woman drops down and blocks the shot with her bracelets. And then she smacks them together to make a shockwave that pushes uh, Doomsday backward. And she joins the fight with her short sword and shield. And she, I mean, she fights well. It's good. Like it's, like I said, I like everything with Wonder Woman in this movie. It's just the, the Doomsday parts. Like, he's badly animated, and she looks okay. <laughs> so then Superman arrives, and he joins the fight, and Batman is just kind of dodging, trying not to get blasted with his grapple gun, and 
Superman and Wonder Woman are taking shots at Doomsday, and they don't seem to be ha- making much headway. And you know, they're they're knocking him through like like they destroy an entire power plant because he's knocking him through the towers and shit, and they explode. And it's very Michael Bay. And then there's a point yeah, where Superman. This movie needs. Yeah. <laughs> There's there's a part where Superman pauses because he hears with his super hearing Lois banging on the rubble in the pool and he goes to save her and he gets the kryptonite spear and like even though it's making him weak him and Lois have this real tender moment where he's like basically saying I'm about to sacrifice myself to kill this guy but I love you and like she's like no no you don't have to do it and it's it's touching it's actually decent as far as like on-screen chemistry between Lois and Clark and that sort of thing. It's sort of their best moment in the movie as a couple. It's a damn shame about that, by after being exposed to everything that else, everything else that you've just told me about, I'll be pretty much lobotomized and be unable to appreciate it by this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it is hard to appreciate, because I don't, I don't really think Henry Cavill and Amy Adams have any chemistry. Like, I don't like her as Lois much. Uh, they had nothing going on in that first one. Nothing yeah, she's she's definitely not like the the sassy Lois you get in like the animated series or anything like that. But but anyway, this moment was kind of nice. And then so you see Wonder Woman has Doomsday snagged with the lasso, and it's it's glowing. It looks kind of cool. I actually some of some of the friends I went with thought it was glowing too much that it looked like a lightsaber made out of rope. <laughs> well. Depending on your artist, it glows to varying degrees. Yeah, I don't mind. I it's supposed to glow. I thought it looked nice. And then and then Batman shoots Doomsday with, like, his last uh, kryptonite gra- gas grenade to weaken him. And then Clark flies in with the kryptonite spear and shoves it into Doomsday's heart. And they're sort okay. of wrestling and wriggling around, and Doomsday's trying to get at him, even though he's being stabbed. And Wonder Woman had cut off one of Doomsday's hands, and a giant bone spike had grown out of his wrist. Okay. And he... As as Superman is stabbing him, he stabs Superman, like, in the chest with his, his wrist spear. <laughs> and they struggle, and, like, Superman starts, like, pulling himself in further on the spike to drive the spear all the way into Doomsday's heart, and then they both die. Alrighty. And it's actually, like, it's it's not as quite as cool as the moment from the original death of Superman where they punch each other at the same time and all the windows on the street blow out. But at this point, Zack Snyder has done windows blowing out and stuff exploding so much that wouldn't have been effective anyway. So I, I kind of like this as the, the two stabbing each other to death being the way it happens. And then they have, you know, the movie gets does, all sad and they have does, they have a funeral. Does, well, technically they have two funerals. Like the, the army gives him like a big procession at like... Uh, Arlington? Yeah, Arlington. Like they give him a big ceremony at Arlington, but they're like just burying an empty casket with a Superman crest on it. And then there's a there's another funeral for Clark back in Kansas that actually has the body. The thing is, this I mean, obviously you're adapting the death and return of Superman. He's gonna come back. So my question is, why do you give Clark a funeral? Because now when he comes back, he won't be able to have a secret ID anymore. Anymore. My question is, why would you in a movie where you've already cluster fucked twenty nine references to your upcoming giant cast film? Why would you kill Superman in a manner which is essentially worthy of its own film? Why would you clusterfuck that onto the end of Dark Knight Returns, adapted poorly, edited like shit? (laughs) Why would you make any of these decisions? Well, Why? Because I'll tell you why. Because we've got to catch up to what 10 years of Marvel has been doing in five goddamn minutes. Pretty much. That's what's happening here. 
There's also, oh. I, you know, with these movies, if you... And we'll talk about this, like I said, in future episodes. We'll do about some of the Superman movies that never got made. You can find tastes of those scripts, if you read them, in this movie. Like, it's like Warner Brothers has been going, we've been trying to make it this way since the 90s. We're finally going to get this thing, and this thing, and this thing. And I don't care if they fit or not, shove them in. You know, and I suppose... I've been leading up to this, and if anyone out there is still listening at this point, you know why I won't go see this movie? All that, all, all that aside, because I am a Transformers fan, <laughs> and I have for the past nearly a decade paid Michael Bay in theaters ten bucks a head every time, hoping for some improvement, liking the first one just enough to give it the benefit of the doubt the time after. Somehow again, the time after that, and the time after that. Yeah. And I'm disappointed every time. I actually felt so like my, 4 was a little bit better than 2 and 3, but still not good, a good movie. No, not by any stretch of the imagination. Not with any remotely interesting human characters. Not at all. And all the characters I care to see develop are already dead, so why do I care? But here's what I've learned from all that. If I don't actually think a movie is going to be any good despite the fact that it may have recognizable characters in it. That doesn't mean it's going to be a good movie about these characters. These characters that I enjoy, their presence in the movie will not make the movie that much more enjoyable to me, despite everything else going around them. I'm not going to make that mistake anymore. I'm not going to be that guy that pays money to see shit because it has people I enjoy in it. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. And everything that I heard about this movie... Going up to what you just told me for the last hour and a half. Nothing prepared me for how bad what you've just told me is. <laughs> I didn't think it would be I don't think it would quite I don't think it would be that bad. I don't know. I don't know, maybe maybe you were going back and forth over the plot like a little a bit too much. Maybe you were telling things out of order, but this just seemed so, so tedious. <sighs> tedious is the word I'm looking for here, because this this last hour has been so painful for me. That's, I mean, that's actually, I think I have then act, accurately captured how it felt watching. The movie like really is cigarettes. like, it's like there are two halves of the movie. The first half was made by somebody who's pretty good at superhero movies. And the second half was made by Michael Bay. And, um, like I will, I will also point out, like they don't even commit to the dead Superman thing. They don't even want you to think for a second he's going to stay dead. Like, the last shot in the movie is the dirt on top of his casket starts to, like, shake like he's about to bust out. Like, it's it's very subtle. It's like that moment at the end of X-Men 3 where Magneto just barely moves the chess piece. But uh, it's there. Yes. Well, that's nice, I guess. I guess you can kiss Hank Henshaw goodbye. And, yeah, and, and um, at the, at the Kansas funeral... Bat, uh, Bruce and Diana were there and they were talking about how they need to form the Justice League because because Bruce has a feeling referring to that fucking dream about the future which was about a bad Superman taking over the world and Superman's currently dead so why does he still think that future can happen? <laughs> maybe if the Superman is good and had just had a vision had just had a U on his chest Maybe uh, if it's it's like I said, these movies need to be about the crime syndicate. That's the direction they feel like they should be going. So is that it? Is, is that it was over? the movie? Yes. No mid credit sequences. Nothing? There is nothing in the credits because but. Christopher Nolan believes that real movies don't have things in the credits. 
Well, <sighs> you know, I was hoping to actually spend a bit of time here talking about what I liked about Daredevil. But as luck would have it, I mean, we've already run close to three hours on this thing. My bathroom breaks notwithstanding, and cigarette breaks notwithstanding, because I had to take a cigarette break through this. <laughs> and I, I was actually hoping to make some nice comparisons between what Daredevil is doing right and why I love the show so much. As opposed to what BDS is doing right, when it does do things right, and what it's doing wrong, that we can learn a few things from Marvel from, but I, I just... The only thing Daredevil I have the urge to do right now is go read the trade that I just picked up in the mail. I don't... Oh. Yeah, we can, um... Go watch Daredevil. You, you, everybody should watch Daredevil. It's it's really good. It's, and it's, it's just that good. The sad thing is that things that are good are harder to have a conversation about than things that are bad, because you just agree on everything, and that's kind of... You liked Elektra? I liked Elektra, too. You love the Punisher? I love the Punisher, too. But... Point form. Characters in the show who are arguably better and more interesting than their comic counterparts. Vincent um, and Ophiel giving the fucking like fucking carrying the show to new heights for the for the brief time he's on screen. His kingpin is legendary. Yeah, yeah. The um, chemistry between the cast members. The I interaction. Honestly, I think I think the, the the most interesting thing for me is that their depiction of the Punisher shows uh, humanity and development. Like, you see how he goes from a guy who's mourning his family to becoming the stone-cold killer of killers. And it's, like, I like seeing that progression because almost every Punisher story, he's just uh, kind of an emotionless murder robot who does the job and walks away. And it's like, I, I understand that there's a huge Punisher fan base out there, and that seems to be what they like it for. They just want to see, like, a cape who, unlike all the other capes, actually kills all the bad guys. And there's, like, that power fantasy element to it, that that wish fulfillment. But I like my characters to have a personality, and I don't know, necessarily always like Punisher comics because he doesn't have much of one, but in this show, he's so three-dimensional and interesting, and it's and it's not even out of character. Like, this is... It, it all stems from, like, what a Frank at his origin story stage should be going through. For me, you can basically copy-paste that with Electro. Yeah. And apply to Frank, too, but this is just... I mean, Frank Miller is not the most subtle writer of women. Well, no, there's, but... There's a not-undeserved joke out there where people... where What was the comic? Yeah. There's a comic where like people have Frank Miller sat at a table... It was... And um, they have a gun at his head, and it's like, I want you to write a story and not use the word whores. Yeah. And he starts because typing, all, because like basically and he pauses because he does, and then he just starts horse, going horse, 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 horse. Yeah. <laughs> because basically, ninety-five percent of the women that Frank Miller writes are assassins, assassins who are whores, whores. He, he loves depicting ab- prostitution and all of the above. Where Swastik has a fashion statement, like all of them. He, Electra's the exception. Electra she is, is just the an exception. Assassin. She's. The the thing about Elektra is that she's not unique for a Frank Miller character, but she's very unique for a love interest in a mainstream comic book. Yes. Because she's pretty much a sociopath. Like, her whole thing is that she's kind of an adrenaline junkie, and the only thing she likes to do is, you know, dangerous stuff and killing people, and she doesn't feel bad about killing. And the only, like, 
positive emotion she ever feels in her life is her love for Matt. And the last time we got Daredevil and Elektra adapted in the Affleck movie... <laughs> You know, they portrayed Elektra as more of a typical love interest. She's, you know, a normal girl. And then, like, her dad gets killed, so she decides to become, like, a fighter. And just very generic and, like, sort of what you'd expect from a movie love interest, but not Elektra. So, like, I think the fact that Netflix didn't shy away from the real Elektra and portrayed that adrenaline junkie sociopath who is just, like, kind of a scary, dangerous person that maybe you don't want to see in Matt's life because she'll, like, lead him down the dark path or screw everything up for him. But at the same time, like, she is kind of his most famous love interest, and there's obviously a a thing there that, you know, it's just, it's it's a lot more interesting than what you would normally get from, like, a superhero and his love interest. Also... Far and away more interesting than Frank Miller's normal take on Elektra. Hell, most takes on Elektra in comics. Because she's always that stone face, like, killing people, yes, I enjoy this and I feel nothing else. No. The version of Elektra that we're we're given in the the Netflix series just has so much much more character to her. So much more joie de vivre. Especially when she's taking life. She she has banter with Matt. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. There's a smile on her face. This is the best Elektra that's ever been, as far as I'm concerned. If you if you read like when Frank did like the the origin stuff like the the uh, the college stories where Matt and Electra meet for the first time, that's sort of the most fun she's portrayed as being in a in a comic because she's sort she's just like let's let's steal this uh, fancy convertible and drive ninety on the city streets, and it's like you know that's the adrenaline junkie side of it but then every time you see her in like the red get up with the size she's basically girl punisher she's a stone faced like you said she's kind Frank's of a... actually uh he's actually gone out of his way to distance himself a little bit from Netflix's version of Electra i'm not surprised that's that's weird considering like he didn't have anything bad to say about Jennifer Garner who i think is the worst actress ever in a superhero movie like i think she's worse than Halle Berry as Catwoman I don't want to get into this whole argument or debate now, but I think that Frank has a very particular view of what ladies in comic books should act like. And I... they don't involve having a necessary necessarily having a proper personality. I suppose. But anyway. Have you seen Frank I lately? Can't... I don't think he's long for this world. <laughs> Unfortunate, but I don't know. At this point, as far as I'm concerned, he's just another kooky old comic writer, long, long, long past his prime with horrible ideas, which people with far too much money seem to still see fit to allow him to put his thoughts to paper for. Him, Alan Moore... It is it is so weird that they're still doing sequels to Dark Knight. Because Returns is the only good one. Strikes Again was awful. All-Star Batman and Robin is Strikes blatantly Ag- comedy. It's, it, 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 is, it, it is parody. And Strikes Again is my single most hated comic of all time. <laughs> I blame that comic for causing me a physical migraine. It hurt to look at. It, the art is really, really terrible. It hurt worse to read. It looks like a child's doodles. I don't know it why they like keep getting It looks like someone vomited up an early 90s paint program onto a piece of Paper. Yeah, yeah, it looks like ch- a child's doodles, and then somebody played with gradients in Photoshop to make all the backgrounds. It looks like someone swallowed paint and threw it up again. Ugh. It looks like an avocado had sex with an uglier, older avocado. <laughs> anyway. 
Uh, Avocados at law. Go watch Daredevil. I think that's all I can handle. For Daredevil's you. great. I, I'm very much looking forward to Luke Cage as well. Yes. And, um, Luke Cage, another season of Jessica Jones. The, the, the casting for Iron Fist so far has been pretty strong. Indeed. We're getting well, Misty so Knight and Colleen Wing, and it's looking good. Defenders, it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. The only uh, the, the only downside is it's probably just going to be that much longer until Daredevil Season 3. It's gonna yeah, be it's, it's going to take us so long to get to, I mean, the point where all the things are out. Cause we've you know, got... I think it actually might be like a good seven years before we ever see Bullseye. <laughs> I don't know. But he's, they, but he's, they could but do a thing. Coming. They could do a thing where they make like, I mean, Jessica Jones and Iron Fist might be coming out around the same time. I don't know if they're filming season two that soon. I know they're doing one, so they could they could be doing seasons and shows at the same time. So we do get Daredevil season three sooner than we think, but possible. I just Bullseye's one of my favorite characters in there, and uh, I think I know what they've got planned from coming up, and I can't wait to see it. But it's going to be the kind of, like, series finale-ending shit that I don't want to con- contemplate right now, but it's going to be so good! Mmm. I, th- I think I know where you're going with that. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah, we've read our comics. I, I love me some Daredevil. Oh, yeah. He's, he's one of the most consistently well-written characters in the entire Marvel Universe. Folks, check out the uh, Brubaker stuff. The uh, who was who, who's uh, Bendis was on it for a yes. long time. Bendis, and, and... Bendis Brubaker. Bendis Brubaker is some top tier Daredevil. Yeah, and Great it's stuff. it's funny because Brian Michael Bendis is kind of a shitty writer whenever he does like most of the Marvel universe, but his Daredevil was amazing. Like he's really good at that gritty street level stuff. Frank Miller's Daredevil, his earlier works, classics. Actually, I don't think he's had any recent Daredevil works. Let's no, maybe, I don't think so. Let's maybe keep it that way. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, who the hell else? Well, Kevin Smith had Mark a short run. Yeah, Mark Smith Mark Wade had a short... good run recently. Mark Wade had a very good, more light-hearted run. That uh, yeah, it was it was a little more um, swashbuckling. Swashbuckly <laughs> is the word. It was That's uh good stuff. It was basically Matt going, "My life is so dark and shitty. I'm gonna try and cheer up." Because <laughs> this was this was coming like almost not not almost immediately, but pretty but pretty pretty soon after like Shadowland. Yeah, it was it was almost was like there was a, a, a demon, and then there was before that there was the Brubaker, and then before that was the Bendis. Yeah, Matt had a pretty goddamn dark seventy straight real time world years of comics, so he needed something lighter. Yeah, Matt Matt getting shit on is one of the uh, constants in the Marvel universe. I think I actually. Uh, my, I call my car Murdoch because it's dark red and it's all beat to shit, and I drive like a blind guy. <laughs> all right, go read some Daredevil, folks. It's probably good. Just grab an issue. Yeah, yeah, can't recommend it hard enough. Right. I I guess that'll tonight, or... yeah, that'll cover it for tonight. Um, look forward to future episodes. Uh. Probably the next one will be a, a look at one of those unfilmed superhero scripts I mentioned. Uh, either that, or maybe we'll do another c- cartoon or TV show episode commentary. I don't know. I don't think that we should abandon the Mortal Kombat side of things for this cast. At least I think we should almost try to find something to talk about. We've got 20 years of history, and we can do a lot of stuff from 
adaptations to shitty merchandise, and I've got a lot of shitty merchandise that I want to discuss at some point. <laughs> uh, speaking of merchandise, actually, I will mention this. I just got a shirt off the internet. Um, you, you, you know that, that um, 80s movie, Kung Fury, the one that just yes. went up? Yeah. I have, a, I have a shirt. This shirt has a picture of Kung Lao doing a jump kick, and it says Kung Lao Fury. <laughs> oh, I need a link to that. Uh, I will find that for you. Thank you. I actually just made, an, made a recent Mortal Kombat action figure pre-order purchase. The Storm Collectibles figures that were uh, shown off at a couple of toy cons not too long ago. I don't know if you remember that, but we had Scorpion, Sub-Zero, and Goro. I do remember those. And they were like really lovely MK1 and 2 looking yeah, concept yeah. art quality things. Like I, I, should, I should probably say versus screen quality as far as Scorpion Sub-Zero go. Mm. So uh, Storm Collectibles Scorpion is available for pre-order now at Big Bad Toy Stores for the, for about 50 bucks. And I snapped that right the hell up because he looks amazing. This is the classic retro MK Scorpion I've always wanted to have. Hope that he does well enough that uh, Sub-Zero does follow suit. In fact, I'm not sure why he's not already up. Here's hoping no problems, and I want to see how this one sells, because uh, it's got my money. Well, you know, the hope is always that they'll sell well enough that they'll do other characters, because there's a million Scorpion and Sub-Zero action figures, but there's like two Katanas ever. <laughs> I'm just surprised there's not more reptiles out there with all the Scorpion and Sub-Zero success. Well, they just uh, they just revealed like one of those really, really expensive statues is a... Uh, yeah, reptile, I mean, and he's got, like, slime dripping off his fingers, and it, it's actually really cool-looking. I wish I had that kind of money. That's the thing, though. I, I can't even count that stuff, because it's 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 plenty for people with, like, mansions and shit that really happen to love Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah, that seems it's, like a, a honestly, really small target if, audience. <laughs> I actually wouldn't be surprised if this stuff was, like, marketed directly to Warner Brothers executives as, like floor pieces or whatnot, because, I mean, you should see the stuff that we've got around our office. We have so many statues of our characters. I don't know, I don't know who the hell makes them. We like hmm. our, uh... We like to promote ourselves around the office. I'm sure it's the same for a lot of I can see that, so. because we have seen, like, the hallway at Neither Realm that has, like, here's the helmet the, the blue screen actor wore playing Shao Kahn and Cabal, and... <laughs> Just walk in there, enter a hidden door, unlock it, Cast scan. You're basically walking through the Hall of Champions from MK1. <laughs> Each statue, three thousand dollars. That would that would actually be amazing if like it was the Warrior Shrine when you walk in and they are actually stone statues overlooking a garden. <laughs> I wonder how much money it would take to make that possible. Yeah, if I owned the company, that's what I'd be spending it on. <laughs> Fucking right. <laughs> All right, I guess that's it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go shower the taste of this out of my mouth and ass. <laughs> that's right where it went. Uh, you can scrub all you want, it. but it'll never be clean. <laughs> Tastes like a bottle of piss. Granny's peach tea. <laughs> Did it have to be tea? I've been drinking tea all evening. Oh, it had to be tea. Oh, Alright. Cheers, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Good night, everybody.